to her uh, pinned to her uh, profile. I'll kind of explain what that is. Um, we still have access to all of their documents. We haven't even released some of their documents yet. And this is back from 2020. So I don't know if you guys knew this, but, and it's up in the nest. I'll probably just play the video clip for some like audio space while I'm waiting for people to get in. But uh, it'll kind of explain it. She has the entire database of the Sunrise Zoom calls working with uh, Open.Inc. It's a new site ran by Greg Phillips of Catherine and Greg of True the Vote. And they've got a lot of January 6th stuff they've got there. Ed Martin did some great reporting on it. Wendy Strzok Mahoney did some great reporting there. And the whole point of the the whole point of it is supposed to be just like a, a repository for open source journalism. So working with them to get all those files uploaded. But the documents that we have um, were from the same investigation. She had actually gotten somebody into the Sunrise uh, Movement Zoom calls that recorded all of it. They got all the documents. And in 2020, it was one of the most suppressed. There she is. It was one of the most suppressed stories on social media. It was number eight of 10. It was in the top 10 of the most suppressed items on Twitter and many other platforms. And Millie was the one that broke that up completely. There's some crazy behind the scenes stuff that happened uh, during that time frame as well to her, trying to prevent her from releasing that stuff. It's pretty crazy, the whole thing. Maybe she'll tell the story one day, but uh, it's not for me to tell. And uh, Diligent, welcome to the stage. I just, Jen, I sent you the co-host. If you want to go ahead, if it's glitching, just go out and come back in and I'll cancel it. But Diligent, what's up, buddy? What's up, man? Yeah, it's just uh, interesting, interesting turn of events here we see with uh, the censorship, right? Apparatus attacking presidential candidates. Uh, can you, can you, like, we think we have, like, maybe twice the number of people in here, uh, including myself. I was halfway paying attention when you gave your nutshell. Can you give a brief nutshell real quick again? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And Jen can probably help me with this as well. Welcome, Jen. But um, so the Sunrise Movement, the Sunrise Movement is this group. Uh, they were, you know, kind of horizontally affiliated with like Shut Down DC. You guys remember that? BLM, Antifa, um, many, uh, there's a, many of the other connected leftist groups uh, that were all protesting for different reasons. Sunrise Movement's the same group that was in Kevin McCarthy's office, protesting inside of his office. Same ones protesting in Senate building. Same ones protesting Summer of Love. Same ones that did the Sunrise Zoom calls. The Sunrise Zoom calls. I will probably just play Millie's clip to kind of wait for the room to fill in and for the recording. It's the one that's pinned to her profile. But she had actually gotten somebody inserted into the Sunrise Movement uh, Zoom calls and recorded it. And what these were were essentially former and current government employees members from different protest group like Sunrise, Shutdown DC, BLM. And they were basically <laughs> essentially organizing and wanting to prevent Congress from meeting, uh, didn't get make sure Donald Trump wasn't elected, burning cities down, all that. So I, I think Jen could probably add some of this a little bit. I need to take a breath anyway. <laughs> Jen, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Hey guys, how's it going? Yeah. Hey. Uh, so Crash was saying that you might know a little bit more about the Sunrise Movement. Do you have any comments on them? Yeah, I mean, Millie's definitely the expert. Um, but, I mean, these were people 
um, who were very involved in the democratic left movement, as well as people who were currently holding government positions and people like AOC. Um, and they all got together and like the stuff that like everyone else was afraid to like, even talk about, about like, you know, like doing all this crazy shit. Like we were actively telling people, no, we must be peaceful. We must like do it this way and not be like the crazy people. They were literally on Zoom calls planning this months in advance and then going after us if we dare like get out of line a little bit. Meanwhile, they're literally planning to take over government buildings on January 6th. And, and Millie, thank God for Millie, right? Because she had been um, in this battle over the wind farms and, and with the environmentalist groups. And she just happened to be like, oh, well, there's this like sunrise group meeting. Like, I'm going to send somebody in there, not realizing what she was getting herself into. Right. She thought they were just like planning like climate activist movements. Right. But what she found out and once she got somebody in there and started collecting all this information is that this was the active plan that we saw unfold following the 2020 election. And then all the way up until what we saw transpire on January 6th with them taking over the building and preventing Congress uh, from hearing the arguments that were supposed to be presented that day. And that's something Dustin and I have uh, talked extensively about is that that day on January 6th, everything was supposed to be happening at the Ellipse. They told us that no other permits in Washington, D.C. were being permitted, that the only permit that was happening was at the Ellipse, and we were to keep everybody at the Ellipse. They did not want anybody moving and that there'd be no other permits issued. Well, come to find out, that wasn't true, right? And, and they had their people up at the Capitol waiting for those Trump supporters to show up. And then obviously groupthink takes over, right? You you walk into a situation like that and they use psychology against people and, and they got them wrapped up. And, and that day, what was supposed to be happening at Congress was that all of the evidence, all of the evidence that everybody collected, including us on the bus tour, right? Like when we were doing our events all across the country, we would have people walk up to us and be like, hey, I was a poll worker in X district and I saw some shady business and they were filling out alpha affidavits that were being then turned over in order to be exposed on January 6th. And if you look um, when they actually stopped the arguments in the chambers is when uh, Congressman Paul, Dr. Paul Gosar um, from Arizona was supposed to present that Arizona evidence, which we now know was some of the most damning evidence. So you're telling me that it just so happened to stop at Arizona when they were evacuated? Um, and then thank God for Millie, you know, trying to come forward. But that poor girl has paid a huge, huge freaking price for it. Like, I don't know if you guys saw, like, I watched it play out in real time because thank God she had the wherewithal. Uh, to grab her cell phone and start filming uh, when the cops showed up at her house to take her kids away um, and arrest her. Um, she she was live streaming. And that was all a result of her trying to get the truth out. And these are the real life consequences that many of us faced 
trying to get the truth out that the leftists and and the Marxists in this country um, were willing to break the law, take uh, Americans' constitutional rights, and steal a an election from a duly elected president. So I don't know, trash, if that's what I was supposed no, to say. No, that's but that's, that's literally that's literally perfect. Exactly what I was hoping you were going to do because that was. Uh, that kind of brings it home uh, to for people to really understand what this is and to kind of back up with what Jennifer's saying in regards to January 6th. If you look up in the nest, this is a document that Millie, myself, uh, Jennifer, we've been talking about banging on about forever. I'm ge- it's getting tagged in large accounts posts all over the place now. People are finally seeing it. But just page 35, I mean, it's a whole 40 page document called the count. OK, and this came out of the Sunrise Zoom call investigation. This document still exists within that that uh document hub we still have access to oh jen oh my god we got new docs we were looking at last night i think i'm gonna wait for millie to get here because i want her to be able to like you know be able to create a thread put content out and then be able to talk about it because it is her original investigation she spent the money the time and everything back in 2020 so but we got some new stuff it's wild it's how these operatives in government positions should operate within their departments. And it's crazy. But to drive my point home, and I'll come back to you, Jim. I'm talking about January 6th, and she's saying right when Dr. Gozar was about to go over some damning evidence from Arizona, it was when they kicked off, they started smashing windows, the doors were unlocked, started waving people in. And the people that were smashing the windows and doing all that, we I believe, I'm not for sure, and there may have been some real just normal people that got caught up in it, and they, they were psyoped all year into whipping up into a fervor like that. Um, on page 35 of this document called The Count, I'm just going to read exactly what it says. Democrats in Congress must use every constitutional, procedural, and political means necessary to delegitimize Trump's attempt to usurp the presidency up to and including voting in unison against Republican efforts to count Trump's electoral votes, ordering the sergeant at arms to remove Republicans from the House chamber, boycotting the Electoral College count, and staging protests inside the Capitol, making it physically impossible for Congress to meet. Yeah, go ahead, Jen. Yeah, and I, I know that, like, maybe a lot of people, like, don't know who Millie is. I don't know. Maybe that's kind of shocking. Um, but she used to be on Alex Jones. She used to be on InfoWars. Um, uh, but if you guys haven't checked out her website, millennialmillie.com, uh, she has a whole bunch of her work there. But she, like many of us, like Dustin and I and Trash, like, were literally censored into oblivion. Like, there was no getting the information out. Um, I know, Trash, you said, like, I think it's number eight on the list. Sunrise Zoom Calls was number eight on the list of uh, things that were most censored on Twitter. Uh, so if you guys haven't seen this information, uh, I, I would really encourage you to go to millennialmillie.com, watch some of her movies. I, I don't think it's very expensive to sign up and support her. Uh, but she has one on there called the PSYOP of the Steel. Um, and what that goes over is really how these NGOs and different groups coalesced on January 6th um, in order to, ooh, that's such a good word, coalesced. Yes, uh, they coalesced. Uh, to literally steal the election uh, from not only President Trump, but the American people, because at the end of the day, like, it's our country, like Trump, you know, is is the president, but like, it is our right, this is the most inherent right of Americans is to vote and speak out against your government. Um, And all of that was taken away from us. Yeah, it really was. And, 
and and I think it's important that this gets out. So if you guys have noticed, I'm gonna go try to find it, Jen. I'm gonna I want to play Millie's little three minute clip for the space. So you guys can hear her original reporting on it. Um, and then I'm gonna go try to find. I'm gonna go try to find. Um, there was a story that just broke recently about Mark Milley and the National Guard. We know about Bad Kitty had put out, uh, Pepe's grandma had put out the document called the v, the VPP, which addresses the National Guard in, in D.C. And we're going to tie all these things together, and you can see how far it goes. Um, so, Magna, go ahead, and that'll give me time to get to my laptop and get the video pulled up and play it for the space. Thanks, Trash. I appreciate it. I wanted to let you know. And let everybody in here know, if you see this document, this page 35, it's kind of a summary of what the entire document was. And uh, if you go look at my time last, you, when you did the first space and presented that, I was just so, in such shock. I, I downloaded that one page right there with the big red circle on it. And I posted that dozens upon dozens of times to people since January 6th because the arguments were, you know, Donald Trump planned an insurrection. And my argument was, no, but the Democrats sure as hell did. And when people see that document, they, they, I've actually had some success in winning a few people over saying, wow, I did not know that happened. And at minimum, it's shut a few people up. But, uh, but, but, but the great thing about it, that document is it's, it opens the pathway for a larger conversation. So if you download that image that he's got posted up there in the nest um, and, and present that to people when they argue with you about, oh, Donald Trump planned an insurrection. Well, no, not really, because you have no document proving that there's anything Donald Trump ever wrote down that, that equates to this. And uh, so if, if you do that, try, try to present that with a, with a professional front, not an argumentative front. I think I think there is a big possibility now of actually winning a few people who didn't really know that this stuff existed over to our side to say, oh, well, you know, I didn't know there was an actual plan. So that's all I wanted to let you guys know. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. And Dustin, welcome to the stage as well. Walter, everybody. Um, I've got Millie's video pulled up. So this video, it's in a cut between her talking and then showing some of the Sunrise Zoom call recordings. And the people that are talking are these various different horizontally aligned leftist groups from Shut down DC, Sunrise, uh, BLM, Antifa, and some government, current and former government intel contractors and government employees within DHS and other other agencies. And, hey, yeah. Hey, hey, Trash. Before you play that, can you just uh, kind of explain how large this repository of videos that Millie has is? Because um, I don't think the the like the extent is like really what we have. This isn't her just like, you know, clipping a few things here or there. Like this is hours and hours and hours of video. Yeah. And it is, it is, it's, it's hours and hours and hours and it's a lot of, okay. So actually let me, instead of doing that, let me explain to you what this is. So you guys really understand in order for, for normal people, I won't say normal, but let's say the people that are under the impression that they're fighting for freedom and liberal values when they join these leftist groups, some of them are Marxists, some of them are just, you know, people. But you have to, in order for all of this to work, you have to have all of these people mentally in unison and believing a certain language and cause. So when you read these documents like the count, and by the way, uh, real quick, Magna, um, if you do, if everyone listening, if you do share that page 35, make sure you share a link to the whole document. That way people can read it for themselves. 
Uh, it removes that because I, I got a lot of that when that page got shared. Oh, it's convenient. This is a document off the off your desktop. No, no. Millie actually has the original with the metadata where it came from. Um, but share at least the whole document so they can read it. But when you're reading it, you have to understand that they're not speaking to you and I, right? They're speaking to their shock troops, the the ground troops, the people that are going to go out and protest and burn cities down and do all these things. They have to believe that they're in an existential fight for their lives and freedom is on the line. Otherwise, they're going to get locked up and thrown in the gulag. Okay. So like the whole language of we need to save America from Donald Trump, you have to you have to kind of flip that to realize what they're saying, because what they're actually saying is we need to do everything we can to prevent freedom and liberty and shut down Donald Trump at all costs. Otherwise, our causes will fall flat. So you, you have to it, it's, a, it's a psychological operation on convincing these people. It is a unifying lockstep type messaging um, apparatus. So when you hear these people speak, you have to you have to put your mind into their minds of what they're saying and how they're saying it. But yeah, Jennifer, to your point, I mean, there's like, I think Millie said at one point, it would take a team of like 10 people and, and like days and stuff to go through all of the video because they had these for like months. And what's so crazy guys, if you're saying, I just made that document up called the count. Well, guess what I found, found that they actually had a live stream with the authors of that document called the count and still on YouTube to this day. So I don't want to hear it. <laughs> so it's all out there. Jen, you've seen the video. I know that. I sent it to you. So I posted it a couple times. Matter of fact, I think, the, do I have the video up in the post up there? No, I don't. But I have the Transition Integrity Project, which we'll get into, uh, the VPP and the count. So we can get into those. But I'll play this clip. Oh, yeah, Dustin, go ahead. Oh, no, I, I off topic. But some of you guys know Operation Used Car is a go. Like we are green lighted it is a go all, all hands on deck. No low balls. I know what I got. All right. Let me play this clip. This was from the, this is from Millie's pin tweet um, on the investigation. She did. If you want to go to her website, there's more there at millennial Millie, millennial But here you go. I'm hoping she's coming soon. I think she's probably running around with the fam. I texted her Jen. So um, I sent her the link. So she'll probably come in soon. I would imagine. Because I really want to go. I'll send it to Gavin. Okay, Gavin. perfect, perfect. Our undercover inside the Sunrise Movement was able to obtain exclusive video footage inside Zoom chats, where shutdown DC, BLM, and other leftist organizations are coordinating a multi-level coup action exercise, utilizing insider help from Democrat Party members as well as federal employees and intelligence contractors. I'm a management and programs analyst. I work in the national security community. I spent three and a half years um, as a contractor at DHS HQ. If you read the mainstream press, like they all have signal accounts, text them, leak everything you can. The journalists I've dealt with have been super ethical in ways to shield me to be the source of the leaks. Groups on the outside being able to show uh, solidarity with federal workers. Making sure that we're naming what is happening as a coup. Totally agreed in the shutdown DC conversations that I've been having and that's not on the federal side. We um, also are often saying that we call it a coup. 
they plan to shut down Washington, D.C. and other major U.S. cities starting November 4th until Inauguration Day. Do we have any plans for how to respond if there's a coup? Come to BLM Plaza um, anytime after 4 p.m. on election night. On the 5th, we're going to shut down the White House. Matt, the White House didn't know every access point. So we knew we could blockade it. On the 6th, we're going to shut down uh, larger parts of Washington, D.C. We've been working on a target map and a framework for scenario. So where are all the police stations? Where are all the key government buildings? Who are the Trump boosters? Members of Congress that are coming in, um, we're going to meet them at the airports or at Union Station um, and send them back to where they came from until we deal with the, the situation that we're in. We are going to be in a crisis, but we want it to be one that we are creating. Whoever's got the guns can win. Let's take over the buildings. If there are people that are willing to do that, we should support them. Get ready to shut your city down on the 4th or the 5th. Regardless of who wins, the left plans to take over. Perfect timing, Millie. Just joined us, but isn't that wild, you guys? (laughs) Hey, Millie. Hey. Hey, everyone. Okay, so this is kind of interesting that this happened with Vivek. Do you guys know the exact time? Was that this morning or was that yesterday? What's the exact time frame? I think it was yesterday, wasn't it, Trash? Like last night? I believe it was last night. Let me go double check just for accuracy. Okay, well, last night I was going into like a deep dive into the Sunrise materials. um, And I was looking over their office visit takeover guide and just kind of reading through and this is I think really what they would use to it's like an instruction manual for exactly how to go in there and do these takeovers and the takeovers don't necessarily have to be inside a representative's office like Nancy Pelosi's office or these other things that they've done before The takeovers can be kind of generalized to target specific individuals. And I think that they pretty much ran a takeover on Vivek Ramaswamy. Um, And when you read through their guide, you you see that um, they literally have pre-scripted chants and songs, pre-scripted scripts that they work off of, um, who their designated spokespersons are to essentially... um, you know, do their monologues and whatnot during these things. And they also have uh, talking points that are, you know, pre-laid out for them. They have, um, you know, police liaisons that are there. They, they, they literally, to the point where they actually all text a phone number um, to register that they're all going to the, um, these takeovers or sit-ins. I mean, you guys, it is so well organized and planned every single thing is planned every detail is planned um nothing is a coincidence nothing is off script so when you're seeing these this group going in there and and targeting Vivek Ramaswamy these aren't just some random kids that wanted to hold up a climate uh banner as most people who are not aware would perceive it as these are groups that are being very much organized by you know, high level individuals who are, you know, experts in irregular warfare and every single thing is prescripted. And these young kids that are being recruited, I mean, guys, they have scripts to recruit those young kids. They have, 
you know, you should see uh, yeah, some of the stuff I was looking into because it's such a big rabbit hole of them targeting these young middle school and high school kids and the scripts they work off of and targeting them, even down to them holding, um, which this was kind of funny. Me and Aaron were laughing about this last night, but because I sent him one of the documents where they had a climate ritual um, where they actually have an altar and they do a climate ritual, like a full on cult guys. It's super cray cray, super cray cray. But, um, I, I don't know what, if, if Aaron wants to kind of jump in on that one and tell us what he thought about it. Yeah. Yeah. Here, I'm going to pull it up right now. I've got the other one pulled up the other document that we're going to drop. I wanted, I didn't want to bring this out until if you wanted to put content out first on it. And then we can talk about it. So I didn't want to pull it out yet. Um, but let me pull up the, the, the climate song. Give me one second. <laughs> yeah, they have climate songs. There's a whole, you know, I just actually um, tweeted out some images, I guess, screenshots of um, one of the documents called um, the Sunrise Movement Office Visit and Takeover, which I'm going to put up in the nest for you guys to take a look at. Um, but what's interesting is each of those little like blue underlined um, words in the document, if you look at it, um, you'll see that, you know, you can actually click on those blue underlined words when it's in the proper PDF form. And it all links out to either other PDFs or other websites or even their, their, their websites. So, or Google Docs, right? So, it all links out to specific things. So that's what I mean by like, it's a rabbit hole because their docs all contain like tons of different docs within docs within docs. I mean, so it's a, it is a rabbit hole of information to kind of go through. Um, but yeah, and that's why, you know, I actually tweeted out today just a, a couple of minutes ago. I'm like, Hey, Elon, can we get a you know, can we can we get a feature that allows us to upload PDFs? Because that would make this so much easier to share this material because then the people themselves could actually be clicking on these links and opening things up and, and seeing what else is inside these rabbit holes. Because all I can do right now is just do a screenshot, but you guys don't get to actually kind of open up those other links and see what's inside that other stuff. So, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I've got the document pulled up. It's, it's uh, the Sunrise Movement Training Climate Ritual. And on page, I think it's the last page, page five, they've got their song here. And this is basically what this is, this climate ritual. This is essentially like a training, or like a packet that you would have meetings with. So like you would get your groups together, your little chapters or whatever, the Sunrise Movement, and you would have these meetings and groups. And it does. It has rabbit holes of links to different documents that they have. It's... Um, Having participants, I'll give an example, having participants get into pairs, since this may involve being vulnerable, let them know, let them find their own pairs, or you could use buddies. It breaks it down exactly how the meeting should go, framing and trainer story, 10 minutes, uh, trainer script, uh, all of these things for these guys. And at the very bottom, this is hilarious, they have the song, it says, thank people for their sharing, quote, thank you, all of you, we're all in this together, and we're all fighting for each other. As we go through this training, let's hold these things as the reason that we're here. I'd like to teach you all a song to close out our ritual. I will not be singing it, but I will go ahead and read it. I do not come here alone. I carry my people in my bones. I do not come here alone. If you listen, you can hear them in my soul. And I said, this is a good time for an evening break. 
So uh, did you share some screenshots of this document out there, the climate ritual? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, you can put that that out there. And okay. there's, uh, you know, what it says, like what materials you'll need to bring. It's like bring a table to use as an altar uh, to put scarves, candles, flowers, like different items on top of it and build like this altar. And then they do these weird chants, um, which kind of reminds me of some of like the more new agey, weird um I don't know what you'd call it, like that uh, new agey stuff where like they do, like, like they'll do guided um, meditations and things. Like it kind of reminds me of that. Yeah, it does. Hey, Grant, uh, you joined us. I, we're kind of going over some stuff. I don't, I'm sure you saw that Vivek Ramaswamy is being protested by the Sunrise Movement, same Sunrise Movement that was in Kevin McCarthy's office, the same ones that were in, in Capitol buildings protesting, doing sit-ins. This is the same group that on January 6th organized and we were going over the Sunrise Zoom calls. Uh, essentially what they plan to do, not only with the summer of love and all the violence, but also to prevent Congress from meeting and should Donald Trump win or whatever. So these were like the shock troop ground troops on the ground. And from what we can tell from some of the documentation that we put up in the nest uh, from their documents themselves, a lot of the violence kicked off in January 6th from these people um, when they were going to start going over Dr. Gozar's uh, damning election information regards to Arizona. And that's when it all kicked off. The doors opened, everybody funneled in. Congress then came back after all was all said and done and certified the election. There was no investigation or hearing. But now we're kind of exposing who these Sunrise people are. So Grant, welcome to the States. Good to see you. I know you're busy this weekend. What are you doing here? <laughs> Probably just listening, but I know he's got a big event going on right now, so. No, no. Hey, uh, yeah. Thank you for uh, bringing me up. I appreciate it. I did a poll yesterday asking who I, I know this off topic a little bit, but uh, of Kennedy, uh, Ramaswamy, uh, who else was it? DeSantis and Carrie Lake. Sixty seven percent of 17000 people like Ramaswamy as the VP. Wow. I, I know that probably doesn't have anything to do with your your your, your room, your conversation, but. There's a lot of people out there to support this guy. I think it is used the color of his skin and what he's saying. Well, actually, Grant, it does kind of address what we're talking about here. Because I couldn't for the life of me when I opened up the space think of why the Sunrise Movement would be protesting Ramaswamy for climate agenda and breaking up his meetings. It's because he's actually gaining strength. And so they're now deploying onto him to try to break it up and protest him because he seems to be actually moving up. That's, that's interesting. That poll is really interesting. And I, I just threw it up in your nest, if you don't mind, so people could see it. Of course, Grant. Thanks. Yeah, I want to take a look at that. If you guys want to go vote in it, too. Yeah, 67%. Wow. And it's interesting. I was having dinner with a bunch of successful guys last night, and, they, and one guy said something I never considered, which was that Trump wouldn't have Ramaswamy as the VP because uh, Trump can't imagine the, the, the postcard. Or, or the marketing. He's such a marketing guy. He'd be like, Trump's Ramaswamy doesn't sound good. But you know what does sound great on a postcard? Trump Kennedy. That I mean, would melt people's brains. Fucking, it would, it would destroy people's brains, bro. It gives Trump a big lift politically. And it just looks good on a card. Historically, in, into the future, you know. Beyond beyond the election. And Trump thinks much about marketing. That's why he, 
my 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 guy Ryan Secco always told me, "Hey, Trump parks his car out uh, his his plane outside of uh, Lagardia so everybody can see his name." It was free free promotion. Everybody that that flew into Lagardia, every Southwest flight saw Trump on the side of the plane for free. I love that guy, man. I, I just do, man. I love Trump so much. <laughs> he's just awesome. No, he, how- he's such a good marketer, Trash. Back when he was going to buy New York Military Academy, um, he, he walked in, I think it was like in the early or late 90s, early 2000s, walked in, offered to buy out the school outright. I think it was like four or five million at that point. Um, and all he wanted to do was put Trump's New York Military Academy and uh, they told him to pound sand, which was so stupid. And that's why the uh, CCP now owns New York Military Academy. But he is the one of the most prolific marketers. And the way he's gone about it is really unbelievable. No, he really is. And, uh, man, that poll is interesting. That is really interesting, man. I can't, I, this, this, this year is going to be out of control. And a lot of it is going to be bad with a lot of these groups that we're talking about here. This is a very, very deep, well-funded, well-oiled machine um, that just changes the flags. They are they are the definition of we're just going to protest the current thing. So that's these guys. Now, I know, uh, Thomas, you came up. You wanted to ask me a question in regards to the Sunrise Zoom calls on January 6th. Go ahead, bud. So, yeah. So, uh, Millie, I've never met you, but thank you for your work. I've actually been following those Zoom calls for a couple, it seems like a couple years now. And uh, I was in, uh, I was that January 6th. I was actually witnessed the murder of uh, Roseanne Boylan that day. And as a result of that, I've been trying to figure out any and everything I can about January 6th. Uh, so I was in Guy Reffitt's, the very first January 6th trial. I've sat through Kyle Fitzsimons trial and a few others. And this is something I'm so glad to get to ask you. So uh, ever so often, these prosecutors will say something to the effect of law enforcement receiving threats from extremist groups on the morning of January 6th. And maybe even mention something as specific as tunnels being closed down, okay, uh, to keep lawmakers from going to Capitol Hill. But they never say who they are, and they sometimes they might say they're uh, they they say far uh, they say extremist groups. And they may have said right wing right wing extremist groups a couple times, okay. So I had seen reports I thought in the media about how Nancy Pelosi's chief of staff or their staff had received threats that morning and never turned it over to the sergeant at arms. Um, So I believe that they're talking about what you gave those staffs or whoever you gave the information to that you discovered. I think that that's what they're referring to in the trials when they say that. I just wanted to say that to you. I've been trying to tell J6ers about your work for two years, Millie, like really big people, names you would would recognize and they don't know this stuff. They, They have no idea. Thank you, Thomas. Yeah, you know what's interesting about that is um, they actually uh, they actually talk about in the Capitol Police's r- report where they did a risk assessment leading up to January 6th. They mentioned that they knew that um, Shutdown DC and They Them Collective and Extinction Rebellion, which are all the, the affinity groups which were affiliated with these left-wing um uh, the left wing groups who all were working to that together in coordination. So what's, what's kind of complicated about this is most people um, don't realize that when I investigated the sunrise movement, I didn't just only obtain information pertaining to the sunrise movement. I obtained information pertaining to a bunch of the left wing 
groups because of the fact that these groups all would meet together. So you'd see the leaders of like BLM and, and a bunch of these other left-wing groups, including Shutdown DC, meeting together in Zoom calls. And you'd also see them meeting with um, high-level high level government employees, um, you know, Department of State officials, DHS size of contractors. They'd also be coordinating with um, high-level Democrat campaign directors. So like the campaign director for, um, for Bernie, for Beto's campaign. Um, so, so they were working also with Momentum, which is a organization that trains leftist protest groups. So um, that kind of shows you that um, they kind of had that go between using groups like Momentum or Transition Integrity Project that kind of was a go between. Um, but yeah, they, they absolutely knew because they knew that these groups were plotting to um, take over the buildings. They had detailed Arcgis maps, which showed that the Capitol, it literally redlines out that the Capitol was their target in the Zoom calls. Um, they actually specifically discussed shutting off the, the exit tunnels and stopping members of Congress from leaving. So I think that might be what you were referencing there when they were saying they were talking about shutting down the tunnels. Um, so, yeah, they, they mentioned cutting off those exit points and those tunnels and stopping and preventing these representatives from even being able to leave or go home. Um, and they also talked about specifically taking over the government buildings and helping others that were there to do that um, in doing so. So, yeah, I mean, it's absolutely like I think there's no question that this is the group of people that they were most likely talking about. But I, I definitely think that a lot of this was kind of suppressed, swept under the rug. Maybe they used that some of these federal um, governmental agencies, bureaucratic slowdown processes to make sure that these reports wouldn't reach the proper destination in time, um, which that's one of the tactics that they also talked about using in the federal workers for democracy videos, um, which that's we're going to, you know, um, Aaron and I are probably going to release that document and, and go over that document. I don't know if we should probably do that on a whole nother space. I, I think that would probably be more appropriate just since it's a side kind of topic. Whereas today, I think that the timing of um, Vivek Ramaswamy getting um, getting an op run on him by the Sunrise Movement, it's kind of the perfect timing to kind of talk about their their takeovers and their very detailed instructions on how they do these things and how these are basically ops that they're running. Um, yeah. So yeah, I hope, hopefully I answered your question, Thomas. I, well, yeah. Can I follow up just real, very briefly? So Millie, uh, I've, uh, I helped make the new, uh, just very, not as much as the other guys, but J6 True Timeline. I've helped with that movie. I've uh, done a lot of work with Larry Logan. Uh, she interviewed me and I actually uh, asked you, I asked her about you one time because I had seen your work, your stuff that's been on YouTube for, for a long time. And um, when you're talking about how integrated these groups are across through the federal government and throughout, you know, through left wing politic groups, you're exactly right. And I, I think that's where our struggle lies in educating our fellow conservatives, how organized these people are from top to bottom across the country to put these Marxists into positions to do exactly what they did uh, that day. Uh, I could talk to you for hours and hours and hours, but I want to uh, just move on. But I do want to uh, kind of point out that i put a video in the youtube on the bubble there for my, my youtube channel and i asked vivek six months ago it seems like uh what he would do for the j6ers if he was elected president and he had a great answer then 
and uh, it's in there for you guys to watch. So he's been consistent, and he was early. You'll see. I have, I have some other videos there where you see these other conservatives running for president or waffling. Right? Uh, Chris Christie runs away, all that. But uh, he's been early with the right answer, and he's been consistent, and he's doing a lot to help our movement. So thank you guys, and uh, I'll listen from now on. Yeah, and Thomas, before, you jump, off, before you jump off, Thomas, real quick, um, the the video you're talking about, the true timeline, that's the one that they put on Open.Inc., right? Yes, yeah. 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 So I was talking about that earlier. We're going to, Amelia, you and I were chatting about this, about getting the Sunrise Zoom calls over Open.Inc. That's Greg Phillips and Catherine Engelbrecht, who did the True the Vote. Greg Phillips set up the Open.Inc. website. Ed Martin has a great uh, story on the um, the gallows, the, the the material that was dropped off in the morning by Mr. Coffee. That story is up there on Open.Inc., Open.Inc. And the J6 True Timeline video is also there. So thanks for bringing it up. I think people need to go watch that. So Millie, hey, hey, get in touch with me. I can make all that happen. I work, I work with that team. I'm a part of that team. Oh, yeah, me too. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, sir. Hey, Josh. I just want to point out, um, so the second one back, and I want to get to David because he's the one who shared this up. Uh, apparently, Ron DeSantis is getting bum-rushed, although probably couldn't have happened to a nicer guy. Uh, but, uh, you know, we do have to include his stupid ass. Oh, no, that's true. That's true. I saw that the New York Post reporting um, that they actually it was kind of weird. I was like, yo, your security needs to get on it. Like that dude got to the stage. Like, yeah. So I just wanted yeah, to chime yeah. in because um, this guy is from Idaho. So my name is Dave. Thank you very much for having me up. I'm a local independent journalist in North Idaho. And this guy, Shiva Rajbindari, is a school board trustee in Boise, Idaho. <laughs> and so somehow he has rigged up some scheme where he's able to go off to college uh, and remain a liberal school board trustee uh, at this district in Boise. Um, there's some uh, conflicts right now that we're still trying to figure out as to where the kid actually is going to school, if it's the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. Uh, all of his social media profiles say that he's going to the University of Idaho, but records requests show that that's not what he told the, uh, the, the other school board trustees here in North Idaho. He's very well funded. He started a, um, a movement to do like, you know, uh, uh, vote registration, voter drives for like college kids and illegal aliens in, in Idaho. And so anyway, I just want to let you know that like these people have histories. We can look into their backgrounds, find out who's paying them, find out, you know, how this network is operating uh, because these activists are paid. They're in all corners of the country, even as far, you know, north is conservative little, you know, Idaho. Uh, so I, I just wanted to put that out there that, you know, we know who these guys are. They should definitely be charged, uh, you know, especially if they broke any laws. Um, yeah. But just putting it out there. Yeah, David, actually, Millie and I spent, I don't know, what was it about that one day we were on the phone for like three or four hours just tracing the money. So we were looking at groups like Fight Back Table, OMADR group, um, and the Omedia group, by the way, is one of those groups that's been funding the um, online fact-checking, Google Newsroom, and the Anti-Defamation League's uh, Harassment and Threat Center uh, in Silicon Valley. That's correct. Yeah. And so, we, it, and it is, and what's crazy about it, David, is that when Millie and I were looking at this, remember this, Millie? We're like, okay, let's check this link. Okay, who funds them? And it's just like this Russian doll situation of funding shells, where it's just like one after the other, after the other, after the other, after the other. It is so well organized, and it and the thing is that the thing is it's not just following financials. They because they are doing like five hundred one c three stuff, five hundred one c four stuff. All of it's like public record, so you can literally just trace the the 
the the Russian doll shells, it's like I like to call them, because you open one up and there's another one and you keep opening it. And the Omidyar group, thanks for correcting how to say that. I kept saying Omidyar, but Omidyar group, uh, many of these other groups, obviously open open society, uh, George Soros, that's a lot of it. Um, but this Omidyar group is really interesting because that's when you get, that's when you make your way up to Arabella. And Arabella is a whole other ball game. I don't even want to get into FTX today. But the FTX money was connected with Arabella. It's connected with the Omedia group. It's the, it's the same groups that are funding all this stuff. Yeah, Millie, what do you, I mean, we, we can have an entire 10-hour space on this and never even cover all of it. Yeah, I mean, the web just keeps going and going. And it does look like there's a lot of shell companies. And, you know, it, it does seem like there's something that probably warrants looking into as far as how that money passes through so many different organizations until it finally gets to an endpoint. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely, it's interesting how they, how they run things. Um, but what you'll find is you'll find like, it's very incestuous in that, um, for example, the, uh, authors of the count, um, Becky Bond and Zach Malitz. And then of course there was Brian, Brian, Brandon Evans, but, um, both they're all like affiliated also with like the real justice pack. And then um, you look into the Real Justice Pack, and you see, you know, that's the pack that helped get Alvin Bragg elected. Um, and then you look and see that these organizations, uh, Becky Bond and Zach Malitz, also both worked on Beto's campaign. They also both worked on Bernie's campaign. And these aren't just people that were like low-level campaign volunteers or something. No, these are like the directors of the campaign. I mean, this is high-level people who are strategic Democrat, uh, campaigners. Right. So, uh, and then you look into some of their documents and you see how coordinated these, um, leftist groups were working with these, um, these Democrat party officials. And then you start to see that, okay, so they're funneling all these leftists to go work and go volunteer at these, um, poll worker staffing 501c3s. So there's like several different 501c3s that that supposedly what they do is they help go and fill out the applications and get people to be signed up to work at the elections as the people that are going to be counting the ballots, right? The poll workers to count the ballots. And this was part, part of their count every ballot movement that these leftist groups had where they had their talking points ready. They were going to demand every ballot be counted. And it was this idea that they wanted to take part in the counting of every ballot, the counting of ballots to make sure that every ballot was counted, right? But then they also had guides on how to deal with GOP poll watchers and people that might, you know, push back against them and what the media, doing. exactly. But no, also like how to handle GOP poll workers. Which don't you remember during that time period during the election, there was um, some confrontation going on because. The, poll, the GOP poll watchers were upset that they weren't getting to stand within a certain distance of watching the count of the ballots. They weren't getting certain access that they were supposed to be legally um, granted to have. And so um, when you look into those poll worker staffing agencies, which I've got the information on this and we'll be releasing it pretty soon, but, um, uh, but basically the board, the leadership of these um, these 501c3s, it's all like ACLU employee, former ACLU employees, like a bunch of like self-proclaimed SJWs working as at this um, 
501c3 poll worker staffing agency, and they're making sure all these leftists get to go count the ballots and count the votes. Yeah, and which honestly, is not good, right? Let, let, let me set the table, Millie, for everyone listening to kind of bring that in because what you're talking about is, if you remember, you and I were looking into this. It's like we found seven or eight different poll worker sourcing outfits. They had trainings and how to, like, like, like Jen pointed out, how to ignore the media, how to even if you're being presented with something that's factual to ignore it. And what they were doing is they were going after young people. So like college kids, um, obviously, they're in, in the depths of indoctrination within college or in high school. And they were trying to get them staffed up before anybody else could get the poll workers staffed in there. And then they had like seven or eight groups that were actually recruiting these poll workers, training them. But let me set the stage on why that's important. And Jen, I want to come to you. So up in the nest, the second post from the right is a screenshot of page 35 from the document called The Count that came out of the Sunrise Zoom calls that we've been talking about this entire time. And up on there on page 35, it really shows you what they were going to do on Election Day. They were going to break into you know Congress. They're going to prevent Congress from meeting, all that thing. But if you go to that, if you go to that tweet, there's also a document linked called the Transition Integrity Project. So this is like where Norm Eisen, Niles Gilman of the Gregoon Institute in L.A., it's a think tank. Uh, Rosa Brooks, if those of you guys are politically engaged at all, you guys know who Rosa Brooks is. Um, and they they basically what they did was they wargamed the elections. And this was done in August. And they wargamed the election. So they all different ways of the election would go. And they even wargamed it to the point where they had specific dates and and like notable dates. So by December 14th, it's da 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 da. And then by by January 6th, January 20th. And then we have to do the count every vote. The only way that this is, you cannot let the election be shut off on the night of election in November. It has to keep going. And we even have to convince the public that, that it's okay that we keep counting. That, it, that the perception has to be in the media. It has to be on social media. And they were using the censorship machines that we've been exposing all year via Twitter files, CTI leak files from Matt Taibbi, the work that Walter and we've done on Disarm Framework. That's a whole other conversation. But it was all about crafting a narrative, shaping a narrative, and making sure they maintained a positive perception that orange man bad, we have to count all the votes, and however long that takes, even if it goes past January 20th, we have to be willing to do it in order for this to work. That document is up there. The Transition Integrity Project was a war game exercise in August of 2020. Then, during these like sunrise Zoom calls and, and everything else, we were also having conversations around the document called The Count, which is what Millie was just talking about with Becky Bond, and that Zach character, where they wrote this 40-page document for their ground troops, shock troops, the people in the polls, the poll workers, everybody on the ground to help keep maintain that perception, ratchet up the violence it need be, make sure that Congress can't meet. And I think it's I think it tells the story on January 6th. I, I don't have proof. I just have evidence. Well, so- yeah, just really quick, though, just to kind of emphasize, um, Aaron, they specifically under January 6th, Electoral College count. Under that specific subtitle, that's where they say to, to shut down the Electoral College count on January 6th, right? And to basically stage protests inside the Capitol and make it physically impossible for Congress to meet. So they pretty much describe exactly what happened on January 6th as one of their um, you know scenarios that they plan to do. Matter of fact, I'll just read that paragraph for everybody that's just joining one more time. It's up in the nest. It's on page 35 of the count. And Jen, I'm coming to you. This is what it came from, the page 35 on the count. Democrats in Congress must use every constitutional, procedural, and political means necessary to delegitimize Trump's attempt to usurp the presidency up to and including 
voting in unison against a Republican effort to count Trump's electoral college votes, ordering a sergeant at arms to remove Republicans from the House chamber, boycotting the electoral college count, and staging protests inside of the Capitol make it physically impossible for Congress to meet. And to wrap that up, Dr. Gozar was going to be presenting evidence of damning evidence out of Arizona right around the same time that windows started getting smashed, doors were open, people entered the Capitol. It stopped the session. They couldn't break. They couldn't review the evidence. When they came back, when all the dust settled, they certified the election and it was over. So, Jen, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, Trash, um, I, I'm sure Millie's seen this, um, but Walter, wasn't it you who found that YouTube uh, video a couple days ago? Uh, so Walter, I think, I think it was Walter or it might've been Rose. I don't know. Um, but we found it, I think, how long is it trash? Like hour and a half, two hours, uh, solely dedicated to the count. Uh, it's a YouTube video. Oh yeah. I found uh, yeah. yeah. Trash found it. Uh, maybe we could play some of that because that like in, in conjunction. So not only did they have this document, right. They literally did like a seminar on this document with the actual people where they sit there and they go over it. And and this video only had 200 views on YouTube, if that, or maybe 100 views. And 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 I came to this conclusion the other day, right? Because I'm, I'm sitting here and I'm like, how are these people just like putting this out on the internet? And then I realized that the safest place for these people to store all this nefarious shit they did is on the internet, right? Because not only is there such an expansive amount of stuff on the internet, they can also censor their own shit so we can't see what they're doing. And I think that's why we are now seeing you know, this uptick in like, oh, I never saw this before. Oh, I never saw this before. Because not only did they have the power to censor us, they had the power to censor themselves, put exactly what they were doing on the vast, in the vast black hole of the internet, censor that shit. And now they think they have plausible deniability because they could be like, oh, well, it was on the internet the whole time. We weren't hiding. It was there. You just had to look. You didn't look hard enough. But literally, the safest place for these people to store their nefarious shit they're doing is blatantly on the internet, guys. And I came to that conclusion the other day, and it's really changed how I look at things. You're right, Jen. I mentioned something when I earlier when I said that I had been posting that uh, Millie's original report, trying to get people to pay attention during January 6th when they were saying, oh, Trump. Trump planned an insurrection. I'm like, no, but here's a plan you really aren't aware of. And people are literally saying, and, and that's why I'm saying I'm getting good responses back from that from people. And, and they're positive, not all of them, but a lot of them are positive and saying, oh, I didn't know that. And I'm like, well, now you know. Well, not only that, I mean, Millie, your original reporting, the link to your website, when I shared that to myself, I was trying to send it through um, DM. So I had the link to it. Twitter censored it. It even sent me to a safety page for it. I posted about it when it happened. So it, it, Twitter, even still today, had a safety sensitivity on your reporting from 2020 to that specific link. Now, it's been removed since uh, I posted about it. But the uh, Twitter, I have a post on it. I'll put it in here for people to see. But it literally was a direct link to the Twitty sa Twitter safety and protocol. Like, you know, this is a sensitive tweet. It might have bad information on it. You, can't, you don't want to go to this website. Yeah, that, that was going on with my Twitter account for quite a while. Um, 
Yeah, it's it's unfortunate, but yeah, where you have to basically if I I tried to share any articles or any of my stuff from my website, and then it would take you to some other page that like warns you about my website. And then it would be like only a very tiny warning at the bottom to continue to my site. And so, yeah, that's something I've dealt with for the past couple of years. But yeah, I, I find that very interesting. I actually hadn't seen that they posted a public um, video, but now I'm seeing this. Wow. Um, that should be very interesting. Maybe, maybe we, Jen, if you know of a, a particular part in the video, that would be good to to play. I think that that might be a great idea. I haven't watched the whole thing yet, Millie. Um, I've only like watched a couple of little parts. Walter, have you watched it or Trash? I, I know you have the ability to kind of like do it in the background. You're a freaking expert at that shit. Uh, so maybe we can uh, pull some clips maybe between you and Walter because like they literally just did a YouTube video. And when I clicked on it, once it was sent to me, I was like, wait, this has like seriously not even 200 views guys and like they are they have put everything out there right and and there's just so much overwhelming information and so much overwhelming false information that they also put out there to like trip people up that that their safest place is to just put all this out on the internet no one's ever going to find it because if they keep it on a hard drive or they keep it on a computer or something like that if they're ever yanked into court, they're completely fucked because it's all in one place. But if they if they scattered it throughout the internet, left it up, and you just A, couldn't find it, or B, it was censored, or C, you know, we just didn't know what to look for because if Millie hadn't been in the Sunrise Zoom calls to find this the count document, like we would have never known about this, right? So we would have never known what to Google or what to go look for, right? But the fact that we know this now, we can now go back and realize like, okay, A, some things might be uncensored. So now we need to pull all that information or B, like, I don't even know. I, I don't even know. But this is the conclusion that I have seriously come to is that it's all out there in black and white blatantly. We just have to go back and 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 try to break through this censorship barrier. Go ahead, Trash. Sorry. Yeah, no, that's good. And Jackie, I'm going to have you go. I just don't want to stray too far from this because I found. From what I can tell, just from skimming it at the 26 minute mark of this video. Oh, boy, boy, oh, boy. So it's Becky Bond. This Zach Malitz guy, and I'm not sure who this woman is. I think she's from, she's a leader of income movement, which is, it's like a, it's, it's probably the same movement that was behind like the, the minimum wage and fair wages and this and that and the other group. It's, it's hosted on their YouTube channel. There's 179 views from three years ago on this thing. And it is called the count live stream with Becky Bong and Zach, uh, Becky Bond and Zach Malitz. So, but on the 26 minute mark, they're going into January 3rd, 4th, 5th, and 6th strategy. I don't know how long it's going to go. If it's, if it's 10 minutes, it's 10 minutes because there's a lot of stuff in here and they're, they're blatantly saying it openly. So, um, well, and trash, it's better to let them talk, let them freaking dig themselves a hole. I don't need to talk about it. I'm just going off with, let them bury themselves guys. This isn't us distorting this information. This isn't us trying to like, you know, push a certain narrative. These are these motherfuckers in their own words telling you that they're going to steal the election from the American people and there's nothing we can do about it. And that's the thing, like one of the justifications that they put in the Twitter files, 
why the EIP wanted to censor the Sunrise Zoom calls initially was they said because the video was edited, right? But the reality is, is these videos, these Zoom calls go on for hours sometimes. So if you catch them saying specific things in there, like, you know, nobody, no regular person is going to sit through four hours of video to be able to hear the hot points, right? And hear the points where, you know, it's actually relevant to what's going on in the world, right? So, you know, in that initial video that I still have pinned up to my Twitter page, you know, we had to edit some of this stuff so that, you know, you don't have to sit through three or four hours of these, uh, you know, obnoxious people. Um, But yeah, so it's just ridiculous. It really is. All right, Jackie, go ahead and get in here and then I'm going to play this because it's going to go this is the slide that says January 6th, Congress in the count, congressional strategy, refused to seat incoming Republican senators, ensuring a Democratic majority in the Senate, call a House recess, order the sergeant in arms to remove Pence and the Republicans from the House chamber, and organize mass civil disobedience to shut down the Capitol. So, Jackie, go yeah. ahead. I'm a yeah, hi. This is all about the Sunrise Movement we're talking, right? I jumped in a little late, but... I uh, am a big follower of the money, and I'm sitting looking at GuideStar right now, looking at their nonprofit tax returns. And so I'm seeing a lot of shady stuff going on here. You pull up their tax return, and it won't show you the donors and the amount of money. It does show you that this year they put together 200 local volunteer-driven hubs, trained over 3,000 people. It does show you that their total revenues for the year were $5 million. Their total expenses for the year were $8,400,000. Their general administration is more than half, which is the salaries component, more than half of their programming. So people are making a shitload of money in this little nonprofit. It also lists who the board of directors is. And it does not list the employee salaries. Now, I don't know how to get away with this on the 990s. They've got to list all that stuff. But it's all blacked out on their tax returns, their federal tax returns. They also have uh, their organizational demographics listed, all their race and ethnicity, gender identity, small board of directors, five people on this organization. Only five. Fifty-nine staff members is what they list and nine senior staff members, all listed by transgender and not transgender. So anyway, uh, there's a lot to be had here, and I need to dig a little further and to see where these people's money are coming from. I looked on the um, USSpending.gov organization, and it should be listed if they've received any federal grant monies, and I can't raise them up under their sunrise movement, but it does suggest here that they were formerly known as the U.S. Climate Plan. So I could do a little more digging, but, uh, you know, there's some shady stuff going on with the money here. Yeah, absolutely, Jackie. You're, you're spot on. And it's kind of what we were talking about e- earlier with the Omidyar group and uh, Arabella and all that. So uh, definitely keep digging. I'd like to hear more about that. So guys, I don't know how long this clip is going to go, but I've skimmed it. It could be 10 minutes. And they're talking about essentially what should happen between January 3rd, 4th, 5th, and 6th. And the slide that they have up on here, it's Becky Bond, Zach Mallets, and the lady from Income Movement. 
And it says, Congressional strategy refused to seat incoming Republican senators ensuring a Democratic majority in the Senate, call a House recess, order the sergeant at arms to remove Pence and, and the Republicans from the House chamber, organize mass civil disobedience to shut down the Capitol. So let me play this clip because uh, it's, it's their own words, guys. But the, only, but the reason to do these is if we're facing a coup, right, if Trump is trying to destroy our election system, then we have to use every institutional mechanism we can and play hardball and use every bit of power that we have to stop them. So one is uh, on January 3rd, uh, when the Senate seats the incoming senators, right, one third of the Senate is up for re-election um, or one third of the seats are up, uh, Democrats will briefly have a 35 seat majority. Um, so it'll be 65 senators. 35 of whom will be in a Democratic caucus. And so the Republicans or the Democrats led by Chuck Schumer could delay seating the incoming senators to preserve their 35 seat majority when the Senate votes to count um, electoral college votes. And so if Democrats don't win the Senate and we're facing a coup, uh, Democrats should do this to ensure they have a majority and thwart the Republicans' efforts to overturn the will of the people. Second is in... What's oh, this is super interesting. As I like underlined and wrote all kinds of questions around this when I was reading the count, I'm like, okay, this is really fascinating. What's the do you have a sense of what the actual mechanism that um Chuck Schumer and and they that they could the senators could do, the Democratic leading senators or majority senators at that moment could do to prevent? Is it literally just is it a requirement right now that? Schumer basically with a gavel welcomes those those new senators. The Senate votes to seat incoming senators. Theoretically, again, this is ent almost entirely ceremonial, and nothing like yeah. this has ever happened, yeah. right? So this is another untested scenario, and which is why, like, you know, if, even if the Democrats don't want the Senate, it's not like they should refuse to seat the incoming senators just to preserve totally. the majority for the sake of legislation, right? Yeah. But again, if we're in a constitutional crisis where Trump is, the threat is that Trump will subvert the Constitution and usurp the presidency, then an action like this is justified. And yeah, it's my understanding that a simple majority of votes, uh, they'll, they should be able to delay seating the incoming senators until after they um, deal with um, the, the county electoral college votes. Got it. Similarly, in the House, um, there's uh, there are some hardball tactics. So the Constitution says that the Electoral College votes will be counted in a joint session in the House. Uh, the Speaker of the House runs the House and could order the Sergeant Arms to remove Mike Pence and the Senate from the House chamber and argue that because they can't convene in the House, they can't constitutionally count the Electoral College votes. Again, completely unprecedented, right? Nothing like that has ever happened. Um, uh, and it would, the legitimacy of this and of the first time, I think I just described would of course be challenged with the Republic. But in a crisis to do everything within our power, um, even if it's unprecedented, even if uh, it's in violation of norms, because we're, we have to play by the same rules as the Republicans when they're trying to overturn our constitutional order. And you want the ball in your court when it goes to, you know, you, you want to be going into any of those court battles with with things in your headed in your direction so it puts them on the back pedal you know kind of the back step of trying to figure out how to legally make a case for why it is that they are their position is correct so it's really about just getting the kind of the upper hand in the moment so that moving forward you're um you have kind of the strongest foundation to stand on um from like kind of a legal standpoint 
Absolutely. And that's why we have to make the psychological shift from thinking about this as an election. Hey, Trash, can you Come pause on. it for a sec? Understand that it's a coup. Oh, man, that was okay. It was a really okay, good. Okay, never mind. Keep going. Keep going. Go ahead. No, 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 no. Go, 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 go. Go ahead, Jen. No, I just want to point out, like, they are, this is them, like, having a, 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 oh, my God, I'm so mind blown right now. There's nothing, okay, just go trash. I'm having a trashy moment, sorry. <laughs> That's okay, Jen. So, I saw, I, I think I might be able to help you trace you back. So, when they were talking about, it's it's how they're talking about it. This is what I was talking about when we read the document. You have to think. You have to reverse the thinking, put yourself in their shoes. And then what is it that they're trying to convey to their ground troops and their shock troops? And what picture are they trying to paint? They're trying to paint that, that Donald Trump is going to commit a coup, pull a coup, and the, Repo the Republicans in the House and the Senate are going to try to overtake and subvert the will of the people. You have to reverse that. They're saying this is what we're going to do. Is that kind of where you're going with that? Well, I'll, I'll just uh, say something. So what they were essentially doing was they knew that ahead of time that there was going to be this massive ballot, um, mail-in ballot shift, and they were planning ahead of time for Trump contesting the election because of election laws not being followed, massive mail-in ballots, that basically they were kind of anticipating that there were going to be a lot of irregularities. And um, even uh, that hold the line document that I had um, put some screenshots up and released uh, like like a week or so ago, last time we were doing a space on this, um, just how much they knew that there was going to be all these irregularities and all this. I mean, they, they pinpointed exactly how uh, that stuff was going to go down and almost like in a very suspicious way. And so they knew that Trump's side was going to contest. And so rather than just allowing for, a, you know, a candidate to contest, which that's legal, that's happened all throughout elections. It's very common that you have a candidate contest that happened in Bush v. Gore. Right. But see, they even cite Bush v. Gore as a major problem because it allowed for Bush to take the presidency. And so their whole thing is they were going to frame up Trump as that Trump's running a coup. And so their whole talking points were, we're going to call it a coup. We're going to call it a coup. That's what they kept telling everyone that is that what they're going to do is call what Trump's doing a coup, which, you know, that might've gotten blown and now they just call it an insurrection. Right. But, um, the point is to frame it in such a way that then they can justify moral high ground, right. To their people that, they need to do these, take these unprecedented high risk actions and activities because they're saving democracy. They're saving America from the big bad orange Hitler, right? That's like, you have to understand their psychology. So you, so understand that that's how they're framing it. But what they're actually really talking about is trying to prevent Trump from contesting an election that's going to be wrought with massive irregularities. Right. And, it, and in those documents as well, Millie, to your point, remember, they kept talking about we have to maintain perception that this is legit. As we move past these norms, they would say election norms and timetables is what they would always say, that we have to maintain, we have to make sure that we maintain positive per, uh, perception in the public 
that this is the actual what needs to be done in order to save democracy. It's it's scattered through all of these documents that we're talking about. That is the main thing was controlling perception. And that's where the election integrity partnership came in. That's where uh, disarm came in. That's where uh, the CTI league came in. It was it was a psychological operations, making sure that the public believe a certain perception. And that's why everyone was like, why is everyone not telling the truth and lying on, on legacy media? They're all in lockstep. It's because of the David Brock types, Norm Eisen, and everybody was involved in maintaining the perception in the media. Yeah, Dustin, go ahead. And I'm, I'm going to get to a real juicy spot of this clip here. Yeah, so I'll, I'll just add, you know what's missing from what they're talking about? Any talk of potential backlash. Can you imagine if the Senate was like, eh, we're not sitting the newly elected senators. They're like, this would be totally unprecedented, but warranted because of this made-up crisis we've created in our head, right? And, and I just want to remind people, I said it last night, but the people who are behind this stuff, they don't see what they're doing as having any real cost. To them, it's like a video game. So they, they are totally without empathy. They're totally without like realistic like consequences of their actions or the impact that this would have on both the country and people's individual lives. And it's sick. I mean, I, 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 I try to think about, right, comparing all the stuff that we did in the lead up to J6, right, with the organizing of the different rallies and the events and the security and all, all of the stuff that goes into putting these large scale events together. And I compare that to what we have evidence of them doing and the idea, like we are in the upside down, right? The, the, the people who plot were willing to win at any cost is what you're hearing in that video clip and that we'll get back to. They, there is no length that they did not explore and actively look at taking in order to prevent Donald Trump from winning re-election, which they call a coup. This is unbelievable, Strash. It is. Shocking. It's so crazy. So it, let me one, remind- one thing really quick before we go back to it is that it's important to note that they specify in the document that the election is not won on election night. They specify this. It is won on January 6th. So... That's one really key indicator there, and that's why we saw January 6th happen the way it did, is because there was always a potential that it could have moved into a constitutional crisis after all of the election irregularities and election witnesses would have presented their evidence, and that neither, uh, uh, that basically neither of them would have obtained the 270 needed electoral votes, because um, the Republicans were ready to refuse to send those uh, electors. And if that would have happened, it would have it would have potentially went into a situation where it would have been one vote per state. And they knew that in that scenario, Trump had it. Yep. And that's actually perfect to lean into where we're about to go. So I'm going I'm to back it up just a little bit so I can kind of go off of what some of the things that Jen said, that Millie said and Dawson said in this conversation and just keep in mind what how we kind of told you guys what this how they're framing it now take a listen to this excuse me absolutely and that's why we have to make the psychological shift from thinking about this as an election if we move into this scenario and understand that it's a coup 
right? So you wouldn't do things like this in an election, right? That would be wrong. It would violate core democratic norms. But to thwart a coup, of course you would do things like this. Um, and the last thing is, of course, to use civil disobedience. You know, members of Congress can organize mass civil disobedience to shut down the Capitol and delay votes. So just to wrap up very quickly, and then I'm excited to go to audience Q&A um, and bring in Becky. Um, we have a recent experience of this from 2000, and, um, and I'm sure some people remember the 2000 election. Um, Al Gore allowed George W. Bush to steal the election by conceding rather than taking the fight all the way to Congress. There's a common misconception that the Supreme Court decided the 2000 election. We won't get into that, but that's interesting that they're pull pulling that out. But you guys hear what he said? <laughs> it is maintaining the perception that this is a coup. Therefore, we would do these absolutely extreme measures and it's, and it's completely legit and justified. I think I skipped ahead a little bit too far. I'm going to try to go back because I think there's something I missed. I was trying to keep control of the timestamps. That's why I want to keep going. But uh, Magna, go ahead. And then I think Walt has a clip that he pulled from this. And then I will disappear in the background looking for more stuff. So, uh, Magna, real quick, let me find my place and then I'll, I'll come back. You're fine. Take your time and go do that. And I'll mention that this, this is a possibility of what you, you guys are seeing in your, in your posts that are coming to you from these Marxist leftist people uh, claiming that Trump sent a fake set of electors. And that it's just a total lie. They know that given that Trump... And Trump knew that, you know, given the situation that was that was presented to Congress, that it would have set a, you know, a constitutional crisis and they would have gone down to the one vote per state rule. And, you know, to say that it was a fake set of electors, is just a simple lie. And it's, it's something that's extended out to say, oh, yeah, it was definitely a coup. Well, it wasn't a coup. He was simply following the precedent set in previous elections and following the laws. Absolutely. Yeah. Go ahead. 100%. Yeah. I mean, that's, and that's something that they talk about all throughout the document to count is they actually talk about how some of this stuff, you know, there has, have been previous uh, examples with elections, but some of it was kind of uncharted territory, which kind of meant that some of it might be left open to, um, I guess, spontaneity and open to interpretation. And so, but yeah, what they talked about was that one vote per state rule that it could go into. And they knew that they counted out the um, states that Trump would have, and they knew that he was going to be able to have the, have the vote in that situation. So they're perceiving it as, oh, well, if it goes to a constitutional crisis and it goes to that situation, then if Trump were to be elected, then he would be successfully um, running a coup, right? Um, but then you have to, you have to go, okay, well then, Let's look into the validity of the um, of the claims that there was election irregularities. Was there anything to that? Was there was there anything to that? And that's where I think they would kind of look um, to try to argue. Right. But the reality is, is that even in their document, the document uh, put put up by and made by Hold the Line, they specifically talked about how this upcoming election was probably like you might see entire voting locations being shut down and you might see um, a like more ballots showing up than registered voters in specific areas and counties. And like they specifically talked about these things. And this is this is even before the election. OK, this is months before election night. They're talking about these scenarios happening. So 
it's not like um the 2020 election uh was was everything was fine and dandy and the democrats have no reason to believe that there was going to be anything funny right they're actually specifically saying that no this is going to be very irregular very unusual and they're planning for it and they're planning for trump to contest it that's the whole the whole point there which how would they know that there was going to be more ballots showing up to counties than registered voters how would they know so yeah, I mean <laughs> Yeah, because they because they war gamed it in the transition integrity project and then they built it out with the Zuck Bucks and all that stuff. There you go. Sorry. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So I think once there's not I don't know if there's that much more in this video to play. I know Walt's got something queued up. Um and then maybe we can move into some of these other documents. I, I don't think people really understand what I mean, I, I think they do now, but it's just like what we're looking at, it's just so insane. Yeah, I've got a couple here. So just to tag on what uh, Trash was just talking about a minute ago about how perception really matters to all these people. So I've found a couple sections in here that are really relevant. This is from the Q&A section. They're talking to Becky Bond. This is the income movement um, director talking about perception. And then I'm going to play this one. This is about a one minute clip. And then I've got a response from Becky Bond that is really interesting to hear. So let's play a little bit of this. The perception is to this uh, per perception of the people, um, a perception of the legitimacy and um, and kind of sanctity of the vote count, legitimacy of conceding or not conceding, um, just all of those components. When I was going through the um, Democratic officials like steps, it's like Biden must not concede. There, Biden needs to declare victory if it's looking like a lot of votes are not going to get counted. Um, we have to call out, call this out as Republican fraud. Like use the language of what it, what is actually happening to help people on the ground understand what's what's going on so I, I i don't know if there's you talked quite a bit about it but i just wanted to put that into your guys's kind of court to talk a little bit more about how critical that is and what an important part we can play to help make sure that the perception kind of shifts that narrative especially in the immediate you know days and weeks after November 3rd. So after that, she rambles for a moment before actually getting the response of Becky Bond, which is one of the authors here. And this is really interesting. So we should play this part two and then we can continue on. First and foremost, one of the things that we that we really need that we can all do as activists, right? And and leaders in our communities is 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 help bolster this narrative by stepping out and saying immediately after the election that um, that it's there's a clear path to victory for Biden based on the election day results, based on the vote by mail tallies and based on the polls and just start that narrative. I think a lot of people will be concerned and the Biden campaign may even push back about declaring victory. And so we need to step into that void, whether it's how we talk to our friends and family, whether we're asked by the media and we need to ask our elected officials to stand up there and make it clear that Biden has a clear path to victory and that he's clearly going to be the winner when all the votes are counted. It, and it means a lot. The same thing with the media. We want the media to make it clear and not push them, push back on the both sides I think it was like brought up in the chat to push really hard to like get that to be the dominant part of the conversation and then delegitimize the Republicans, explain them as partisan frauds, as trying to steal the election and doing this in language that really is relatable. It's not the in-group language, I think, sometimes of left politics. And I, I think the basic income movement has been such great communicators 
across all kinds of silos, you know what I mean? And so, and so like making sure that, in, that from ev not just where we normally see people interested in the presidential race, but just all across the spectrum of people who care about our government, that people are hearing this getting language to mimic and they're saying it again and again and again. So that's the response from Becky Bond that we need the media to cover and delegitimize the Republicans. So I just wanted to play that part because that is all about the perception stuff that they're talking about. That's really common and really prevalent throughout all of these documents. Well, and through, through all this stuff, well, notice how they just assume that the media will do whatever they tell them to. Like, oh, we need the media to repeat a talking point. Over. Like they, the way they talk about the media, if I was a reporter, right, like I would... If you were a real journalist, you would be upset. They literally talk about them like, uh, yes, no, uh, go to our scribes at the Washington Post and the New York Times, and they will repeat whatever we come up with in our little conference here. It's unbelievable. Well, what they're talking about is they're talking about creating a, a, a psyop and controlling the public perception if they feel like Biden isn't going to have the votes, meaning... So they were they were um, anticipating that there was going to be a massive mail in ballot situation, and they and they they were worried about Trump and and the GOP wanting to not count votes or wanting to um, I guess you would say like basically seize certain votes and and try to contest the fact that these votes were being going to be counted for weeks after election night. And they were even still kind of worried if they were going to have enough. And so I think that what they're kind of going at here is, is if they feel like Biden's not going to have it, um, they were prepared to do exactly what they then now criticized Trump for doing, which was contesting, saying that this was a stolen election, saying this was fraud. I mean, they were, they're actually talking about doing exactly what now that these hypocrites are um, you know calling Trump out for doing? So it just goes to show that it's just a big wag the dog game over public perception. Well, if you rem if you remember the host, um, she's from Income Movement, which is like a UBI protest group, all that stuff, uh, federal basic income. Um, she was saying, so, so she says, so let me get this straight: you you have to make sure that they're on their heels trying to defend themselves with bullshit while you take the upper hand in lawfare, legal, and constitutional processes. And once you have that control, including the temporary majority in the Senate, then Schumer can do this. Or what the, uh, what, uh, what the Speaker of the House, like Nancy Pelosi, can do to remove Pence and Republicans from the House chamber, uh, it, is, it is keeping them on their heels, defending false accusations, creating a perception in the public that Trump's going to try to commit a coup and we cannot stop the count on January 6th election day because the votes are going to be coming in and we have to count every vote and we have to maintain that perception. And, and they basically lay it out and they say, yes, that is specifically what we need to be doing, even if the Biden administration to what you said, Millie, and what they said on the video is kind of reluctant to go along with it because they're not quite sure of the outcome. So it really shows you who rigged what and where. It's kind of crazy. I'm seeing some comments down below. Um, I don't know if these are real people or not, but we're talking about 2020. Um, the reason we touched on um, some other things is because it's related to Sunrise Movement, the Sunrise Zoom calls, the documents that we're reviewing came out in 2020. This was all set up months and months and months in advance of the actual election. 
this is when you started seeing the polls completely shift and go absolutely crazy. Media was in lockstep. Everybody was ready to go. Dustin pointed out, you know, think about the hubris that they, oh yeah, no, we've got the media. That's fine. We can make sure we keep this perception up. They also knew what this, what censoring and psychological operations were going on in the background on social media via uh, disarm and uh, CTI league and everything that we saw the Twitter files, the global exchange, uh, the global, the GEC, um, the election integrity partnership with Renee DeResta and Alex Stamos, like all of these things they knew were running. So all they had to do was to make sure that they kept that perception in the public and that their ground troops that they're talking about in this video and in that document still believe all of this stuff. Therefore, they're fighting for the cause because they're saying it is a coup and it's going against the will of the American people if Donald Trump is elected. It's just how crazy this is. All right. I don't know how much more there's in that video. I haven't gone through it. I stepped out for a second, but uh, Millie, Jen. Trash and Millie, I have a question. Is there a way we can get a hold of the actual recording so I can do a, a transcript and get this all in writing so that it's, you know, this is a transcript of the recording and then have the recording as the backup? Go to the, just go to the Income Movement. Just go to the Income Movement YouTube channel and search the count, Becky Bond. It'll pull right up. Yeah. Even if you just put that on YouTube, Becky Bond, the count. You'll find it. Um, and I think that's what's got everyone in the background. Everyone's like looking at this video and, and trying to, you know, see what this is because it's it's fascinating. I mean, the, here they are on video talking about these things. Um, you know, it's it just it. what you find out is that the whole puzzle starts to kind of form and you start to see how everything came together and how all these groups came together. And that's exactly what they talked about in that Time magazine piece, right? They're talking about how all these leftist organizations and groups and campaign directors and all these people came together in order to stop Trump from running a coup, right? And and here's the thing. Here's my question to you guys. If J if J6 hadn't happened the way it had with the the whole media narrative then turning into J Trump ran an insurrection, you know, the Capitol building was taken over as an insurrection, right? How well would they have gotten away with how the election went down? Right? Like, do you think that they would have gotten away with it as well had J6 not happened the way it had? Them being able to then make their argument, see, he was running a coup, right? And then you also see how um, how people are on the constant defense now. Trump's on the defense. All the Trump supporters are on the defense. Everyone's on the defense because they've been painted as insurrectionists, right? And so they're they're fighting legal battles. And now they're still using this in order to um, try to keep Trump off the ballot for 2024. Um, so so he's still dealing with this and. It's a constant fight. And my biggest question is, you know, why has why haven't more conservative media outlets covered this information? And the only thing I can guess, I mean, I'm guessing is just that perhaps the censorship tactics were that effective. Perhaps. Right. Like maybe the reason why is because, you know, almost a half a million tweets uh, pertaining to the Sunrise Zoom calls were removed from Twitter. Um, maybe the censorship was just that effective. I don't know. Um, maybe I, some I th 
maybe some think, people won't take the time to look at the material. I mean, that's also the problem, right? Go ahead, Dustin. Well, well no, I, I think that it is a huge part of it, right? Which is because I, I remember, Melly, when you were doing it and the, the frustration that you couldn't get anybody, like you, it couldn't get out. Uh, now, when we look at it, though, um, to this day, like Walt was saying, uh, I remember the first couple times we did spaces. Remember the first time we did a sunrise Zoom call space on the new X? It, we, we were doing rooms. They would have 500 to 1,000 people in them. And there were like eight people. Like it, it, it was so like, this is such a protected secret that I, I believe that they used all of their collective power in order to like silence it and censor it. And then I, I, I think the other problem is there's a bunch of like a bunch of the quote unquote conservative media really just wants to be the traditional media, right? They just want to be at, in the club and part of it. Right. It's staffed by a bunch of Ivy Leaguers, right, who look down their noses at all of us regular conservatives. Right. Uh, I, I wish we didn't have to share an ideology with these people. So, right. Like, to, to be honest, when I look around the right leaning media landscape, I don't, see, I don't see a lot of like, I don't see Andrew Breitbart walking in that door. I don't see somebody who will fearlessly cover all of the, the topics that will bring you all of the most heat, right? And that, that's what Andrew Breitbart was. He was the guy that when no one else would pay attention to what you were doing, he would make it a big deal with Breitbart News. And I, I, I feel like outside of, well, before Tucker was unleashed from Fox, because now I think, I think Tucker's been wildly good at covering the third rail stuff that we're not supposed to, and then what we can do collectively on this platform. But before that, I, I don't know anybody like who, who would touch something that because it's important to remember with the censorship that they wanted us to be able to reverse engineer it. Right. So if, if, if you are one of these conservative journalists or outlets and you post about Sunrise Zoom call, what happens? Right. You get no traction at all on it. That 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 post, like right, just it's it's a black hole, so you don't go back to it because you're not getting the clicks that pay for your business. So I, I I think it really was more than anything the censorship. And think about as we listen to this. Of course, this was like they they were willing to try to get Chuck Schumer not to sit the new sitting senators. We just listened to that clip, right? Uh, the count document goes over. All of the different ways that they were planning to, I don't know, let's just call it a fish, uh, obstruct an official proceeding, right? There, there was no length that they wouldn't go to cover up both to prevent Trump from retaking office and then to cover up what they've done to make it happen. It's wild. So, uh, Millie, you, if, if, if the Pulitzer Prize was, had, had any legitimacy at all, the work you've done around this, you would deserve it 100%. Thank you, Dustin. I appreciate that. Um, you know, and the other thing it, that, that's kind of interesting when we're talking about censorship and, and whatnot is YouTube, actually. I, I had originally uploaded the video, some of the videos for the Sunrise Zoom calls up on YouTube, and YouTube actually removed it. And I thought... I remember being kind of shocked, like, what, you're removing this video? 
and they removed it under like terrorism or something like it violates our guidelines that are like terrorism or something i'm like what in the heck like but then all the while um we we see like the left kind of pushing back oh that's that's you know that's edited or that's not true or whatever and they just really just censored it massively they massively censored it um i remember seeing the um we were still inside the sunrise groups and we were we were we were paying attention in um inside the, some of their subsequent uh zoom calls they thought that they had burned the um the the users that we had in there um and and they thought they were probably good but they were super paranoid they were like you know talking about it and talking about the media you know the 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 right-wing people are talking about this and you know they were you know but yeah we stayed we stayed in and, and here's the thing um i actually was able to get into one of their hubs um, and see that they have a bunch of upcoming stuff planned for um, this year. So that's interesting. Um, but yeah, so so there is still potential to kind of, um, you know, go inside some of these organizations and get, gain more information, gather more information. Um, and, I, and actually, I think this is the thing. I was thinking about this the other day. The fact that they have some of these like, poll staffing agencies that are they're 501c3s right which thanks to aaron he helped explain to me and i looked it up later but that you know 501c3s have to be very much like nonpartisan. they have to be very neutral on politics they can't take one political side or the other um and they could get in trouble if they if they are political if they're politically biased and so what I find interesting is that these 501c3s that are um, poll worker staffing agencies that are supposedly going and helping people sign up to become election workers to count the votes. Um, it'd be interesting if just a bunch of conservatives went and signed up for the the, the organizations and said, I want to be a poll. I want to be the person counting ballots. Right. And see how many people get rejected. Right. See if they reject a bunch of conservatives going and saying, we want to sign up, you know, L let us be your <laughs> let us be the, the ones counting the ballots and see what happens. Yep. And it even trains them how to handle any challenges, how to ignore it. So I saw a lot of videos coming out with people wearing BLM face masks, just ignoring questions from challengers and poll workers. And it, it, the whole thing, they had it planned and I actually found another part here. Millie, remember earlier when we were talking about the count, about how they needed to maintain perception, even when these certain dates, these important dates were coming up? Um, I actually found a section where they're talking about that. And it's at the eight minute and 20 second mark. I'm about to go into it. It's chapter two, understanding the threat of how Trump could disrupt the election. And so I think it would probably be very important to let them in their own words explain what they're planning to do with these specific landmark uh, dates of the process of the election process and what they were doing to try to subvert that and maintain perception that orange man bad, not orange man rad. And so I think what I'll do is I'll just play it. It goes on for some bit. So like, if you guys hear something that you want to like expound on specifically within the video, just raise your hand and then I'll stop it. Uh, and then we can keep going through there. That way I can keep my place and then we can just keep moving through it. But if you, if you hear something and you want to talk about it, just, just raise your hand so I can see it because the way I have my, audio setup 
my laptop, the speakers are underneath the laptop. So I have to turn my phone around and put it right next to the speaker underneath the laptop to get the audio correct. So I can, I can't, I can't do anything. I can't mute or anything, but I can see if a hand goes up. So uh, that's what I'm going to do right now. Unless you guys want to add something before I do that. All right. Very good. Mapping out how the, the crisis might unfold um, in relationship to the timeline that I just laid out. Perfect. So an important piece of context is what we call the red, red mirage. So unlike most recent presidential elections, we are not likely to know the winner on, on election night. And this is significant because there's a partisan disparity in who votes by mail, right? So Democrats are far more likely. Where's your sister at? I'll pop my Billy. And so in a close election, it's possible that Trump will lead on the election night returns um, because the in-person voting is counted faster and the in-person voters are more likely to be Republicans, even though once all, all the ballots are counted, he'll have lost decisively. It gives him an incentive to declare victory. I'm sorry. Uh, I'm going to play that last part over again. Uh, I don't know if you guys caught that, but you know how they're talking, you know how they've been talking in what ifs and this is unprecedented and maybes? Listen to this. He just slipped up. Turns um, because the in person voting is counted faster and the in person voters are more likely to be Republicans, even though once all, all the ballots are counted, he'll have lost decisively. Yeah, no, he just said that. Yeah, he said that out loud. And this was in, this was, this would have been around October of 2020 that he just said that. He didn't say, he didn't say that, like, yes, he'll be winning on election day because Republicans vote in person. And if we keep counting beyond election day, it's possible that, that Biden will win. He said Biden will win decisively once we count all the mail in ballots. Now, just, just Can you play that again? Just yes, ma'am. That's powerful. Yes, ma'am. Yes, very important. Let's see if I can find it here. Give me one sec. I think it's about right here. Disparity in who votes by mail, right? So Democrats are far more likely to vote by mail than Republicans are, and so in a close election. It's possible that Trump will lead on the election night returns um, because the in-person voting is counted faster and the in-person voters are more likely to be Republicans, even though once all, all the ballots are counted, he'll have lost decisively. It gives him an incentive. To- <laughs> yeah, yeah. So as you know, like through this document, some of this video, uh, we they've been talking about hypotheticals or, you know, not norms. This is going to be a different election or Trump's going to commit a coup. And they, they're talking about what ifs and maybes, and they've been very, very guarded with their language. He really slipped up there, Millie. Yeah, it's very interesting because when he's saying after all the ballots have been counted, he will have lost basically decisively. It makes you wonder, okay, so are, was he including the mail-in ballots? So he's basically saying that tr- that on election night, Biden's going to lose decisively. And then it's going to be the weeks after where they're like counting these supposed mail-in ballots that he's going to win. Or, or, or is he just kind of saying he will have lost decisively? Yeah, no, he said it, he was, he was trying to explain the blue, uh, the red mirage. If you remember in all the documents, they called it a blue shift. So it's odd that they're saying red mirage here, but either way, red mirage was all over mainstream media. We knew that we heard it a million times. 
I was like, yep, yeah, they're telling us they're stealing it. Like, I remember that. It, it wasn't a secret. But like, um, but what he said here was not a hypothetical. He said specifically, he said Republicans more likely to turn out, as we know, Red Mirage on Election Day and he will have won. However, as the mail-in ballots come in, he will have lost decisively. It, they don't speak in matter of facts and a lot of this stuff. And they, they, they guard the language and they change the framing of what they're saying to say that Trump's committing a coup when they're actually doing it. But that, that, one with that, that little comment right there was very much different from the rest of it. And I think, I think the veil slipped down a little bit on that one. So they knew. Well, and I think that's why it's really important to watch, like, even though it's boring as hell sometimes, right? But, like, to watch every minute, right? Because they're lying, right? Because they're committing fraud, because they're going against the law, for them to be doing these hours and hours and hours long presentation, like, it's hard to keep up, like, the the movie, I guess, right? without having those tiny slip-ups and it's those tiny slip-ups that are really telling the truth. Yep, absolutely. So uh, just to kind of re- to, to kind of bring, rein it back in for everybody, because I just I just discovered that clip as I'm listening. Um, we are going over, they're about to start going over the timeline. So this is the document called The Count. It was written October 14th, I think they put it out, October 14th of 2020. Millie got a hold of it October 20th of 2020. And this is essentially them maintaining perception in the public through through censorship, through uh, legacy media, through the ground troops on the ground, all of the Democrat operative, different, various different groups, the Biden uh, administration. And what they're about to explain now is what they need to do leading up to the election on Election Day and post Election Day. And they hit each date and just listen to the language. I suspect, because I've read the document, we had a full space on it. We've read the full document a couple times. I read it probably four or five times. But I think listening to them explain it, and they're not reading it word for word, this is where the good stuff's going to be. So I'm just going to keep letting it play. If you guys want to say something, throw What your- is the timestamp really quick for that? Yeah, so right now I'm at nine minutes and six seconds. So it starts at around eight minutes and 40 seconds is where that clip started. Just in case anyone wants to like clip it and put it up out there on Twitter, there you have it. Yep. It's around eight minutes and 40 seconds. All right. So we're at 9.06. We're about to go into the timeline. Here we go. To declare victory on election night and say that we should stop counting ballots and certify the election night returns, even though those are partial returns that don't reflect the actual will of the people. And we have a preview of this. Hang on, I'm going to back it up and start it over so you guys can hear the whole context again. Florida recount in 2018 on election night. And this is significant because there's a partisan disparity in who votes by mail, right? So Democrats are far more likely to vote by mail than Republicans are. And so in a close election, it's possible that Trump will lead on the election night returns um, because the in-person voting is counted faster and the in-person voters are more likely to be Republicans, even though once all, all the ballots are counted, he'll have lost decisively. It gives him an incentive to declare victory on election night and say that we should stop counting ballots and certify the election night returns, even though those are partial returns that don't reflect the actual will of the people. And we have a preview of this in the way that he talked about the Florida recount in 2018. So in, in 2018, there's a razor thin margin in, in um, 
in the Florida gubernatorial and Senate races such that the state had to conduct a recount. Um, and ultimately, Rick Scott and, and Ron DeSantis won their races, but their their lead shrunk significantly. And before the recount was completed, while their leads were shrinking, Trump tweeted that the quote ballots were massively infected um, in Florida and that the recount was essentially fraudulent um, and the ballots that were being counted were forged and then called on state election administrators um, to certify the election night returns. And this is exactly what we are expecting in this election, is that on November 3rd, uh, the beginning of Trump's attack on our electoral system will be a declaration of victory. He'll say, the election night returns have me in the, in the lead. Any ballots counted after this are fraudulent. Then his campaign will immediately attempt to delay and disrupt the ballot count. Um, they'll do this using two sort of categories of tactics. The first are legal and administrative challenges, right? They'll actually try and legally tie up or force to be disqualified um, ballots in key swing states. And it's also likely that Trump will incite violence by his supporters, right? He's already done this. We heard him from the debate stage, you know, call on his supporters to be quote unquote poll watchers, which what that means, let's be real, is intimidating voters and trying to get them not to vote. We can expect the same thing after the election, uh, that he'll incite violence against election administrators and potentially try and disrupt the count itself. And so in the worst case scenario, one or more contested states will fail to complete their, their ballot count before the safe harbor date and before the electoral college meets on December 14th. The scientists and engineers that support... As you can tell, I don't pay for YouTube premium anymore because uh, fuck those guys. But uh, <laughs> it was an ad. So I'm going to get through the ad and get back to it. If you guys want to add some comments on that, I'll be right back. Yeah. Um, actually, I wanted to, um, because when he's talking about like um, the mail-in ballots and everything else and how um, this is going to be a, a different situation and how he's saying that Trump's going to try to contest some of the ballots and, and basically um, say that they're, they shouldn't be certified. But... Um, I wanted to read the uh, scenario two that the hold the line document uh, goes over um, election irregularities that they were anticipating. So the election results show significant unexplained irregularities and or signs of tampering and Trump declares victory. So this is one of the scenarios they were planning for. And this is pre um, election 2020. There could be major irregularities in the election results that point towards manipulation of vote counting possible vote hacking, or other complicating factors. Here are some possibilities of what this could look like. In some countries or counties, people may report the, that electronic voting machines switch their votes, raising questions of how many other voters experienced this but did not notice. In counties that regularly vote evenly, Democratic and Republican, there could be significant unexplained delays in reporting ballot counting. And when final results are released, they could show a candidate winning by a completely abnormal historic margin. In one or more counties that a candidate supposedly wins, the results could show that the number of people who voted exceeded the number of reg registered voters in that county. We are not saying that these possibilities will happen, but we note that such incidents have happened in other counties where democratic processes are threatened. And we do not think that the U.S. is immune from such incidents. A city could have an electrical failure or a cyber attack that causes several polling places to shut down. In other areas, violence, underscored, under-resourced polling locations, and intimidation may keep voters away from voting in person 
or even shut down voting sites in key times, leaving people claiming that they were disenfranchised and demanding to be able to vote even after election day has passed. With such irregularities, the election night may show a slight Trump lead, but rather than wait for the irregularities to be investigated or remedied, Trump may declare victory. From that point onward, the Trump administration could do many things from the first scenario, including having Attorney General Bill Barr launch investigations into the Biden campaign and Democratic Party, seeking to halt vote counts through court order, fomenting violence for Trump supporters, attempting to invoke the Insurrection Act. So notice like how they they knew that there was going to be all of these election irregularities and even down to like um voting locations being closed you know it's just crazy how they could predict all of these things go ahead jen yeah and i i want to point out how they use steve bannon against donald trump because there was that infamous video of bannon i think from like july over the summer and this is very bannon right i i know steve very very well i have for over a decade and that this is how Steve talks, like this is how Steve thinks about things. And it honestly, even at that point, right, we knew that they were going to pull shady shit during the election. Now, did we know exactly what it was? No, but we knew that Donald Trump was going to win. And if he didn't, that there was going to be shady shit going down. Right. So when Steve said that Trump should uh, claim victory on election night, they took that clip and played it everywhere because it fit their narrative in order to enforce it. Yep, that's absolutely correct. It's just, it's so, listen, I understand people listen to this. Well, what are we doing about it? And they're blackpilled. Well, there's a lot of people who have been fighting this for a long time. A lot of people didn't know the true story. A lot of people were given bad information on purpose to make them look bad so they couldn't mount proper challenges. It was, they did everything they could. They ran these operations to discredit people that had the real information. Look what they did to Millie. Look what they did to a lot of people out here. Dustin, Jen, myself, a lot of us out here. Carolina, I mean, dude, it wasn't just censorship and, and it wasn't just these psyops that we're talking about. We're talking about, you know, and not even hit pieces. It was people that you had trusted were feeding, not me, but some people I knew were fed bad information on purpose to misdirect people completely. I mean, this is what you saw with the Georgia runoff, like everything involved in that whole scenario, why people are getting sued today because it was bad information given by bad actors who wanted to go out there and destroy any kind of ability to be able to to litigate and and actually adjudicate a lot of these issues. So it, it's pretty crazy. Yeah, go, Jen, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, it totally destroyed the Patriot lexicon right that they not only because okay let's go back before january 6 right i'd go out there we need to fight we need to show them how this is done they were like we were able to have well within our constitutional rights by the way i just want to point this out that we could use this hyperbolic language because hyperbolic speech is part of political speech which is some of the most protected speech underneath the constitution and as soon as january 6 happened they went back and not only vilified the speech that was coming out of your mouth currently they went back and and started vilifying stuff that was well within your constitutional rights now was it a little edgy hell yeah i love being edgy right but like i was still within my constitutional rights we should be able to say go out and fight 
It doesn't mean go out and tear down the building. It means go out and have your voices heard. Stand strong. Be stoic. Freaking stand in that storm, right? That all became vilified to the point that we couldn't even defend ourselves because it's like, oh, well, did you say that? Well, yeah, I said it, but, like, that's not what I fucking meant, right? And there was no getting, like, there was no, like, we lost the ability to fight for ourselves because they vilified stuff that was constitutional, that was well within our rights. Absolutely. That's a really good point, Jen. And you know what's uh, also uh, kind of uh, the uh, double standard that you see is that these groups, they are allowed to talk apparently in their Zoom calls about taking over government buildings and that burning down buildings are powerful forms of protest right? That's not constitutionally protected, yet they don't get charged, but then they go after people like us, the MAGA Americans, right? Yeah. Yeah, Dustin, go ahead. No, go ahead, Josh. No, no, you're good. Uh, I was just going to say, like, and again, um, what is it, what is it that anybody's doing anything about it? I don't know. Uh, we are putting this information out. We are spending hours and hours going through footage, going through documents, going through all these different things, tracing money tra- and, and presenting the information. What is anybody doing with it? I don't know. I'm just trying to get it out there because there are gatekeepers in certain media organizations on both the left and the right that do not want this out. They're not even going to take the time that it's going to take to actually ingest this entire picture that is the picture that we've been laying out all year long in various different and various different chunks. I just, I, I, it does get a little frustrating when people are like, well, what are you doing about it? It's like, man, I'm doing something. What are you doing? Well, so- well, Trish, I, I want, let's give credit where credit's due. I know sometimes, right? But uh, I know for sure that this information, because of you and Tracy Beans, Millie, has been advanced to the weaponization committee. I know that it's been put with the team in Missouri v. Biden, right? I know that Ken Paxton has access to the information. Right. So, uh, again, just because we don't see the wheels of justice turning, um, the fact that we've been able to we're not just bringing this information up here. We're making sure it gets in the hands of the people who are engaged in litigation and a bunch of other stuff. I appreciate you saying that because it's true, Uh, you know, and again, it's self-praise stinks. I I do appreciate that because that's a lot of what we're all doing up here. Uh, and sometimes the right person is listening and they, they'll DM me or text me if they have my number. Like, what is this? I'm like, oh, here it is. And then they, they run with it. I know of a couple things that are working that I can't talk about yet that are coming up. I also know some things uh, specifically that one of the efforts on the Missouri v. Biden case where CISA was removed in the Fifth Circuit case of appeal, Court of Appeals, because of the public pressure and I was talking about it was added back to the case. It's at the Supreme Court right now. So, I mean, you know, I, I guess people don't see it on the news or they don't see it on Twitter that. All this stuff's happening, but I can assure you it is. And I, I work a full-time job, and this is also another full-time job. I literally have changed everything about what I do with my life to try to get this stuff out here. Because if we don't do anything, and if I haven't tried to say anything, and none of the, and, and, and we fail in 24, and no one knew any of this stuff, this stuff never comes out again. It's never going to come out again. So it has to get out. All right. So... Oh, well, I, I, I was going to offer have this video I just sent around. There's a new Elmer Fudd tweet up top, but somebody just confronted DeSantis again. And literally Casey DeSantis like steps in front 
between the protester and Ron to like protect him. It's one of the most pathetic things I've ever seen. Oh man, it's funny. Yeah, when I'm done with the space, I'm gonna have to go watch it. <laughs> it's it's like 24 seconds long. Homeboy present like like before the event starts. It's like, ah, oh, thank you all for being here. I just want to uh, offer this participation trophy to Ron DeSantis because he's not gonna win. And as they're like, it's Casey Stantis steps in front of him. And he goes, he's our he's our special Ed right little he's he's our special Ed little snowflake, and he uh, he's not gonna win, but he tried real hard. So here's his participation trophy. Oh, it's so funny. <laughs> I'll have to watch it. Um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna move forward in this timeline here. Um, I don't know if we should go all the way back to the eight minute forty second mark where he slips up, drops the veil, where he's saying, "We know decisively that Trump will lose if we keep counting the ballots after election night." But we're kind of in the timeline here where they're t- discussing November third, making sure that Trump cannot declare victory, making sure Biden administration, if they get any kind of inkling, does co- declare victory, even though they're still counting all the ballots. Um, and then moving through to November third through December eighth. Trump and his allies successfully delay and disrupt the ballot count with legal challenges and intimidation of election officials. In the worst case scenario, contested states fail to complete ballot counts before the safe harbor date. Then December 8th through the 14th, the Democratic governor lawfully appoints Biden electors. Republican legislators use chaos in the ballot count as a pretext to illegally appoint a slate of Trump electors to the Electoral College. So let me keep going with this timeline. If something, I'm going to keep playing the video. If you guys hear anything that you want to talk about, raise your hand and then I'll, I'll pause it and we'll go back to it. This is where sort of the, the ah. get really crazy is, uh, you know, before December 14th, we would expect that the Democratic governor in a key swing state like Pennsylvania, um, Wisconsin or Michigan, right, which is a state where this is most likely um, to break down, we'd expect that they would appoint the lawful Biden electors. Um, and then what could happen is the Republican legislatures in those states, right? Both, all three of those states have a Democratic governor and a Republican controlled legislature, as does North Carolina. Um, you know, the legislature would meet and would argue that, you know, the election has essentially failed, that as a result of chaos caused by Trump and his campaign and his supporters. Um, or because the ballot count was significantly delayed, or even because of their baseless assertion that the uh, ballot count was contaminated by fraud, they would argue that they have to appoint a slate of Trump electors to the Electoral College. And to be clear, uh, that's illegal. Um, They're not allowed to do that. Um, But as I'll talk about in a minute, that may not be enough to stop this from from causing a constitutional crisis. And so what we mean by contested election um, is that in one or more contested states, um, rival slates of electors, one for Biden and one for Trump, meet on December 14th. They vote for the candidate to which they're pledged. They send competing slates of electors to Congress. And at that point, it's left to Congress to decide which slate of electors to count and which to discard. Um, and as I'll talk about more in a moment, the laws that uh, the law that governs this is, is virtually untested and quite convoluted. Um, so it's unclear exactly how this type of dispute would be resolved. And again, you know, if uh, if we don't have a president or vice president chosen um, on or before uh, January 20th, then um, uh, then the speaker of the House will be sworn as the acting president. So to, 
to draw out of it. So let's uh, let's 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 back up a little bit here. So um, what Millie brought up, we were talking about this. I don't know, like a month ago, three weeks ago, whenever we were doing this space about the the count and transition integrity project. One of the things, uh, obviously, page thirty five. You can't you cannot allow Congress to meet to hear. You know, contested election, alternate slate of electors. We have to do everything we can, including getting inside of the Capitol, having the sergeant at arms, remove Republicans and Pence from from Congress, all of these things. Um, but if you if you if you remember, so we were talking earlier in the space about Real Justice PAC, Real Justice PAC, who is actually started by Talcum X himself, Martin Luther Cream, Sean King, and actually worked to get like DAs like Bragg. And um, D.A. Bragg, uh, Larry Krasner in, in Pennsylvania uh, to get elected. And there was a big scandal, actually, on that election with Larry Krasner in 2018. It actually, that's why they had to get rid of Sean King from the letterhead as one of the co-founders of Real Justice PAC. Because it almost ruined the entire PAC because there was, there was a lot of shady shit that happened. But they let Krasner in. Well, Millie found an article from October 29th of 2020, and I think it was New York Post. It could have been somewhere else. And it was Larry Krasner threatening Trump from sending poll watchers or, quote unquote, poll intimidators. And it was actually warning Trump that the Republicans that they're not allowed to do that, which is not true. But he actually went out in public and said that. And if you think about that in the essence of the dates. So the Transition Integrity Project was the game theory like Norm Eisen and uh, this guy, Niles Gilman, out of the think tank in L.A. called the Gagoon Institute, Rosa Brooks, uh, longtime D.C., Georgetown power lawyer, Obama administration clown. She, they, uh, they did these war game exercises of exactly how the elections would go in conjunction with what they had already planned with like the mail-in drop boxes, all the constitutional changes in various states. Uh, all of this is heavily lined out and detailed in Molly Ball's Time Magazine article, The Shadow Campaign That Saved the 2020 Election. You can go look that up. But if you think about that in that context, and then we go here to October 14th, which is the count. And this, uh, this video that we're listening to is the video presentation of the document called The Count. And what we're hearing here is the specific timeline of what they knew to be true and to come out, and he dropped the veil and said that, yes, if we keep counting past Election Day, Biden will win decisively. Trump will lose decisively, is what he said. And so they already knew, and they had this whole thing gamed out and planned out. And so then in October 20th, talking about the, the, this document, uh, Millie puts out sunrise Zoom call information. October 29th, Larry Krasner's threatening that no other poll workers, because as we explained earlier in the space, how there's about six or seven of these groups that are connected within the sunrise uh, movement, Zoom calls, the horizontally aligned groups like BLM, Antifa, Shutdown DC, Lisa Fithian, she's on there, uh, some members of uh, previous and current uh, government employees, Department of Homeland Security, Intel, Intel community contractors on these calls talking about exactly this. And this document is for the ground troops. So now they're laying out the timeline of what that's going to look like, knowing that they need to keep counting the votes, even if they don't have it. And they're, and they're making the assumption and they're trying to explain to everybody that Trump is going to commit the coup when actually that is their plan. And this is how they plan on implementing it and preventing Trump from being able to fighting it or any kind of state legislature, Republican government to be able to fight it at all. And so they're gaming that out here. I just wanted to bring that context. If there's any million, do you think we should add Jen, Dustin? Well, 
that kind of tells the story of where we're at currently uh, in this conversation? I don't think so specifically. There is a couple threads down there that have a lot of the information that we're talking about um, in the comment sections. You guys can read through some of the documents and the other articles and other spaces are all actually linked within them, I believe. So if you are interested in more of the information we're talking about, you can check those. It's just, it, it's so complete, the information. Like their plot is so blatant that, right? When you look at this stuff, like they, they 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 don't leave any of the like they don't leave anything to the imagination, right? They are the only fans hoes of government conspiracies. I don't know. I just I don't even know what else to say about it. Yeah, you know it's so funny when you said they don't leave anything to the imagination. They are so overly like organized. And They're nerds. Re- redundant. Taken over by nerds. Yes, yes, because they are so organized. Right. Isn't that one of the things like for there to actually be a proper insurrection? And and isn't this something they were looking into at Trump and his supporters? And that if you're if you were to actually run a coup, right, usually there's a plan. (laughs) There's a plan. okay? it's not a a spontaneous thing. It's not a bunch of protesters who just show up and are just there and have no clue what they're doing. Right. Usually when when uh, there's a coup, there's a plan. And so the only group of people that, you know, I actually see who had a plan, a very, 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 very organized and detailed and thought out plan were these groups of people. Now, I'm not necessarily saying that they ran a coup. I'm just saying they sure as heck are very organized. And I would think that they would be capable with how organized they are. and. You know, even down to like um, a document, I just, I'm in their Google Docs right now. Just a document I'm seeing here, Bird Dogging 101, the art and science of extracting uh, answers from our Congress critters. And it's all about bird dogging, you know, and they have, they're overly redundant. They make sure they instruct every little thing and they're very detailed and they're very organized. That's all I could say is that they're extremely organized. And I have not seen anything like that on the conservative side at all. Uh, and maybe that's why we're getting our butts handed to us. But, you know, maybe that's also why we're hard to hard, hard for them to deal with as an opponent is because there really isn't any type of organizational structure or method to the madness that goes on inside of MAGA, right, or inside of the conservative realm. It's really very spontaneous. It's random. It's unplanned. It's spur of the moment. And maybe that makes us harder to kind of, um, in some ways, maybe it makes us harder to predict. But in other ways, uh, maybe it makes us easier to try to um, psyop, right? If, If we're always reactive. If we're always on the reaction, then they can just continually input uh, trigger events and create crises that they control and and they have their little people running around that they they send to um, act as you know agitators and operatives and apparently bird doggers I mean I'll put this document out as well this document on bird dogging but it it also probably would pertain to what happened with uh, Vivek Ramaswamy so 
and Millie, you and I, uh, and Jen, obviously, um, put some resources behind going through some releasing some more of these documents that aren't directly related to the plan for the vote, but more so kind of the federal government bureau and agency subversion trainings. Maybe we should put that stuff out and, uh, and a whole, have a whole other space about it and uh, keep releasing that stuff as well. Uh, so stay tuned for that, guys, because uh, there's a lot of documents that, I, I, that we're looking at. Uh, there's just so much and you start following those hyperlinks within these documents and there's even more. It's just like, geez. So uh, we're going to try to put that together and make it bite-sized piece and understandable and easy to ingest and pass along. But I think right here we can kind of move to maybe if you guys want, I don't know how much time you guys have, but man, oh man, like before Christmas during the holiday week, Dustin and Jen, myself, we had, we had spaces talking about Norm Eisen and Michael McFall and color revolution extraordinaires uh, that were also involved in this stuff. Maybe, maybe we move there, Dustin. I don't know, Millie. What do you think? Yeah, we could move into some of that stuff. And, you know, I, I think that that's where Maria J. Stefan really kind of comes in, um, in her, her book on basically running civil resistance movements to overthrow dictatorships, right? Which, you know, I mean, it's kind of in a way it's color revolutionary um, stuff, right? Same with like the who was that guy? Was it Gary? Um, the one that she cites, and it's not I'm trying to remember the name. I have it pulled up here on one of my little tabs, but I've got a million tabs open. So then there's that. Because <laughs> I don't want to close them out because I, I worry I'll forget something. Um, but yeah, there, there's a whole um, there's a whole lot of information that they have on essentially using nonviolent protest tactics. It's Gene Sharp. That's what it is. OK, the name I was looking for. Oh, was perfect. Gene Sharp. Yeah. So that no, yeah. Millie, perfect. So Gene Sharp. So a lot of Michael McFall and Norm Eisen's books are based on Gene Sharp's Color Revolution. Same with Maria Stefan. Her yep. book's based on that as well. So that's where I think they all kind of tie in is that Gene Sharp was like the father of creating nonviolent protest tactics and essentially weaponizing nonviolent protest tactics in order to create the public perception so that you create the groundswell so that then you can essentially remove all the power from a government and then you could topple it. So that's really what they kind of talk about is how you can take over. You don't even have to pick up a single weapon necessarily, but you do so by, which really, if you actually think about it, what they're talking about, and it's really what they're describing is psyops, public perception psyops. That's what they're describing. And actually, Millie, um, before I move into maybe this this Gene Sharp, Maria Stefan, Norm Eisen, uh, Michael McFall stuff, maybe I can also bring to your guys' attention Ehud Barak, who was an opposition leader in Israel, who did a talk at Chatham House about this very thing and how you can make a government topple or capitulate, depending upon a certain percentage of the population getting behind a certain movement. And he explains it. It was based on a study um, by some women in Columbia at a university, I believe. It's about a minute and a half, two minute clip. It actually would be quite poignant in the conversation we're about to enter into. So Jen, go ahead. Let me see if I can go find that clip. It's pretty wild. Yeah, Trash, I was going to say, I think actually um, 
I think it would be really, really good for us, and this is something we haven't done yet, is to start with the clip you're trying to find and to go over Gene Sharp um, because that is where a lot of these color revolutionary experts are deriving their ideas and their plans for what they implemented in the 2020 election in, in their own right. And I, I don't think that we've touched enough on Gene Sharp so people can understand the the mentality and, and the thought process behind what we saw. And I think moving into that, and I, I have a bunch of time, so uh, I'm down. Let's go. Uh, I think we can, I think when we move into that, into that discussion, I think we can just use the same reporting by Darren Beatty at Revolver about Michael McFall, Norm Eisen, and Gene Sharp that Dustin pulled out, that you pulled out, Jen, that we talked about during the holiday week. I think that would be, that, 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 that article in this context is probably the most important because it has all of those elements. Let me go find that clip. I know I shared it. Um, I know I've shared it a couple times on my X account, but I can't, you can't search your own X account from the PC. It's so stupid. So I'll have to do it on my phone and then, and then DM it to somebody so I can play it from there. But yeah, Jen, go ahead while I go find it. Yeah, you can DM it to me, Trash. That's fine. Um, while Trash is doing that, uh, reset the room. Guys, thanks for being here. Um, we're trying to paint the picture of what really happened uh, during the 2020 election uh, with the Sunrise Movement, with a bunch of NGOs, and with a bunch of color revolutionary experts such as Norm Eisen, Fall, um, and uh, what's her name? Maria Stefan. Uh, there's a whole group of these people who who derive their inspiration from a guy named Gene Sharp, which we're going to go over right now. Um, but we're trying to show you how this was all way, way, way more planned um, than just a spontaneous riot at the Capitol. Um, that was the end goal. And I, I think we need to start at the beginning and kind of show the thought process behind all this and, and how they use these different tactics that have been used overseas to topple other nations such as Ukraine or the Velvet Revolution in uh, Czechoslovakia that Norm Eisen was very, very heavily involved with. Um, so we're going to paint that picture for you guys and show you guys what, what the heck is actually, you know, uh, like fueling these people uh, in order to do what they're going to do. So uh, retweet the space. Appreciate you guys being here. Thanks for coming up. Uh, and I just want to point out one thing, guys. If uh, I put out a tweet a few minutes ago about Victoria White. Uh, Victoria White is a lady who was severely, severely beaten at the hands of police in the tunnel on January 6th. She was nearly beaten to death over the head. Um, and she passed out and, and it was actually sleuths going through the January 6th footage that was able to pull that footage of her be being beaten nearly to death um, in the tunnel on January 6th. Just to show you what kind of upside down world we're living in, today she checked in to uh, start serving weekends in prison for her role in January 6th after she was beaten over the head and nearly killed. Um, this is disgusting, and I hope everybody keeps Victoria White in their prayers uh, because she doesn't deserve what she's going through right now. Yeah, I agree. <clears throat> and 
uh, Jen, I DM'd it to you. So you have this clip for the future because it's a long talk, but man, it's a minute and 27 that really describes what these people know about revolution and how through civil disobedience and how to actually, and what kind of numbers you need to force capitulation from a government or to topple it altogether. These are cover revolutionary specialists. This is Ehud Barak. He was an opposition leader in Israel. Uh, obviously, he's not part of the Likud. I'm not getting into Israel here. It's just specifically interesting on his what he says, because when we go into Gene Sharp and Norm Eisen, and I saw many people posting that article for Revolver down below. Thank you very much. And I hope Dustin's available for this, too, because you guys really chomp on this on this article. And it really kind of brings it together. What Sunrise Movement is, the Sunrise Zoom calls are all these documents that we've been going over, all the stuff we've gone over all year. It really ties all this whole thing in. But just listen to the math. Listen to how they understand how to how to pull these things off in various countries. And that it's now been done when Donald Trump was elected. And then after 2017, after that meeting in the Obama White House, you had everybody like David Brock, Media Matters, Crew, which we're still seeing the rep, what, what weaponization of Crew to this day. All the election challenges in these various different states to get Donald Trump removed. All these different cases around, they're funded by Crew, which is funded by Open Society, which is funded by George Soros. There was a meeting in the Obama White House with this SJ Terp British intelligence character that built out the entire mis, dis, and malinformation censorship apparatus and the psychological operations that they would use in other countries. And all this happened post-2017, and they put all this in play. And so we're going to start getting into the math of how this led up to 2020 and everything that we've reviewed in this space when we get into all this stuff. So here's the clip. It's about a minute 27. But just and, and just listen very carefully. I'll, I'll make it as loud as I can so you can hear it. Obviously, you know, he has a different accent. He's, he's from Israel. So but but listen to what he says. It's very important. These top down regime change using the tools, the, the legal tools of uh, democracy facing a counter-revolution from, from bottom up. And uh, we will win. I'm confident of it um, because I know our people and we have uh, even empirical evidence for this. Some uh, 11 years ago, in uh, two ladies, scholars, Chenoweth and Stefan, published in uh, Columbia, a, a research they made of uh, hundreds of. Wait a minute. He's ref it was Maria Stefan at Columbia University. Is he referring to his her work, Millie? Chenoweth and Stefan. Sorry. Uh, what did? Can you replay it, Trash? Yeah. yeah. Can you replay it? Just because I'm looking at something I just found inside uh, the. The, 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 the Google Docs and I'm trying to make sense of it and it looks insane like it's instructions for for you know using uh, basically using like snowmobiles to stop roads and stuff about road spiking and things that might look very sketchy okay but it, yeah but anyway can you please play it again these uh, top-down uh, regime change using the tools, the, the legal tools of uh, democracy facing a counter-revolution from, from bottom up. And uh, we will win. I'm confident of it. Um, 
because I know our people, and we have uh, even empirical evidence for this. Some uh, 11 years ago, in uh, two ladies, scholars, Chenoweth and Stefan, published in uh, Columbia, a, a research they made of uh, hundreds of civil protests uh, in the last uh, over 100 years, from 1900 to 2006. And they found a common denominator. All these uh, protests which succeeded, where they reached a, a level of 3.5% of, of the population, which is which ends up to be about 8% of the adult population, uh, tenaciously and persistently keeping the protests, boycotts, uh, civil disobedience, and so on, at the end, the government either fall or capitulate. And this is exactly, we, we already crossed this number within less than three months, so we are heading in the right direction. The publication called Why Civil Resistance Work. So why civil resistance works or why civil dis disobedience works. And you're, and you're referring to work that uh, Chenoweth and uh, Stefan had done at Columbia. And I thought it was the country, but it I actually think it's Marie Stefan and uh, uh, Chenoweth. So yeah, yeah, that's her book, Why Civil Resistance Works. That is her book with the big communist redfish fist on it that he's talking about. <laughs> yeah. And he says basically, you know, uh, he said like 8% of the voting population or 3.5% of total population, uh, it will work. And you have to maintain constant civil disobedience, riots, protests in the streets, blah, 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 blah. And it will cause the, the government either to fall or capitulate to their demands. Uh, so yeah, uh, he's 100% talking about Maria Stefan. I thought so when I heard this clip again, I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> and guys, we look at this stuff all the time, and it's taken me, I don't know how many times I've watched this clip, five, four or five times to even pick up on it. So pretty crazy, Millie. Uh, I, I'm interested in the document you have. Did you email it to me? Yeah, it's um, it's it's on a site. It's on a library. I'll send it to you. Oh, it's, it, on, the, it's, it's on the Google Hub? Yeah, it, it's got like um, igniting machinery, pros and cons of burning. Like they've got... Vehicle modifications for the serious monkey wrencher. They've got it's it's in this anarchist uh, library. Um, fence cutting, handling trapped animals. Like they've got stink bombs, smoke bombs, jamming locks, disrupting illegal activities on mountain bikes. Let me see. Yeah, they've got what, paint removers, posters. They've got like this whole thing of, uh, I'm wondering if I'm just going to find them having instructions for building pipe bombs or something in here. Like, it's, it's crazy what I'm seeing right now. This is crazy surveillance, anti-bugging devices, electronic surveillance, FBI updates, eavesdropping methods. Please, for the love of God, let this them is just crazy. Be like, and the pipe bomber on January 5th will be X, Y, and Z. And we can break it here and be like, oh, FBI, you suck at your job one more time. Like, are you joking? Field notes for if you're arrested. Let me see. Police undercover operations. The undercover infiltrator going undercover. Undercover tactics. Private undercover operations. Confidential informants. Defense against undercover activities. Double agents exposing 
undercover agents background so check on suspected infiltrators. every single thing that we have dealt with that got the majority of January 6th people wrapped up was confidential informants, agitators within the crowd. Like, guys, this is, when I say, like, this was planned, okay? It wasn't like, oh, okay, guys, we're, we're going to stop Trump, you know, like, he really, he really can't get into, no, they took every gosh darn scenario, they took every aspect of that scenario, and played it out, and had a plan, and then distributed it to their people. Oh, this one says sinking whaling ships. <laughs> it's got, what? like, instructions for that, yeah, like, this is crazy. Sinking whaling ships. The, that yeah, that's really a stretch. I mean, I guess some like there was something that came out the other day about whale hunting for Trump in court, but you know, I don't know if that refers. Well, to wait ships. a second. This is when they have the paddle boarders go out in like Seattle and they try to like fight the ship on their freaking paddle board. Freaking morons. What just happened? I don't know. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, go ahead, Millie. Oh, sorry. I'm not sure if you heard what I was saying. You um, muted. Okay, it said, Sea Shepherd takes the position that sinking a whaler is a surefire way of stopping whaling. Right? And then it goes on and on and on. There's like a bunch of stuff here. This is crazy. Yeah. Yeah, I'm actually looking at something else disrupt dot pro, disruption project this is crazy too but um i do we move we still move to norm eisen and everything right dustin jen millie oh no doubt yes okay, cool. yes let's move let's move on to that but i'm gonna send you look after this space yeah. let's convene and we're gonna go do a deep dive into this what i just found here and like i'm saying i'll guys, be like, there too if we're you gonna send me a copy too. yeah we're gonna coalesce because this is insane and this is the thing about this the sunrise docs and all their internal communications is like it just keeps going and going it's there's so much layered inside of it that you never know what else you're going to come across and this is crazy but yeah let's go into norm i let's you can go to norm eisen and gene sharp and all these other guys on cover color revolution cool all right carolina get in here and then we're going to go there yeah, so I, you know, I'm often at the airport and I, you know, let people listen right now that you guys are speaking and I'm, you know, serving people and I'm asking, air, you know, like pilots and stuff if they know what's going on and I let people listen and I just asked, you know, maybe 20 people since I've been here uh, if they even know who Vivek is and I, I promise you I have not a single answer of anyone that knows what is exactly being covered here so i'm very concerned so this is why i spend a lot of time boots on the ground asking people you know on the floor like in the real world because i feel like we're just living in layers uh and people i, I don't even know how far this goes in the rabbit hole that you know we're uncovering or you guys you know have done a great job to put out there but how do we get it to the majority i mean there's a line right now leaving the the aircraft and as I, they're leaving, I'm asking, like, do you know this? Do you know that? Look, listen, they're talking about this, and they're talking about that. And they're like, we have no idea. And they look at me like I'm crazy. Like, do you, do you know who Vivek is? This guy right here? This one? Do you know who that is? You never heard of him? At all? Never. You know who's running for president? And you, who are you going to vote for? You're in Georgia? Oh, vote for Trump. Okay. 
All right, guys. Well, I'm sorry, but uh, you know, I spent a lot of time on the ground, and uh, it's so unfortunate to see that. You know, I talk to hundreds of people daily when I'm out, and uh, this is the reality of our country. Sorry, we're all uh, looking. Yeah. <laughs> I, I know but, I well, no, I, I want to speak to that, Carolina. The truth has a way of spreading all by itself. And when when you bring sunlight to this stuff and the sun comes up, may not, but I, I, we don't always know exactly how it works, but the rooms are continuing to get bigger. I've seen more and more people talking about it. I've seen more and more people bringing up Norm Eisen, Trash sent us something yesterday, even bringing up Anna McAndrew. Who else besides Jen have we heard that name from? Right, But she, she for a solid year, has just been hammering it, and other people start to take notice. They listen, and the, the truth has a way of spreading, like, sunlight in a darkened room. Right? Like, the, the light will always win. So, uh, I, I know it can be frustrating, because right. It, it it's almost hard to even talk with regular people because like we in these spaces we have such a wildly different understanding of all of the events that are going on in the world it's just a completely in total like 180 if you read the news and you buy into legacy media you don't know shit so i i, I, I always appreciate it sorry i wanted to add something to what you said Dustin, is it possible that maybe out of the 400 people that are listening, we can ask people to just, you know, take this information that trash really, you guys have done a great job researching and then make a post and then make a commitment to show it to somebody who's not on Twitter and then just let them know. Maybe if we can get like five, six, maybe even 10 per people per person listening uh, to, to disseminate this information, maybe we can get somewhere. I just, you know, it feels very frustrating because... This is what I do. I mean, I'm in the streets asking people, like, do you know this? Do you know that? I get in their face and I ask them. There's a great group here. Um, do any of you guys know who Vivek is? No? At all? Vivek. He's running for president. Have you ever heard of him at all? No? Where are you guys from? All of you? All one, two, three, four, five, six, seven of you? Okay. And none of you have heard of Vivek? Okay. He's running for president, but okay. So uh, go on Twitter and then follow the Twitter spaces of American Mission and, you know, give inform and tell people, you know, what's going on really in the censorship. He's running for president. Uh, Vivek. So you see how it's spelled right here? Yeah. And uh, these are the group that you want to follow. Trash, Millie, Jennifer, Dustin, Walter. Like, look at all the speakers and just go follow it. Okay? Yes. God bless y'all. All right. Back to you guys. Uh, by the way, we need to send a cameraman around with Carolina because I, I just, Jen just said the same thing. I just want to be a fly on the wall as Carolina's like, do you know what this is? Do you know what this is? I think it'd be epic. Well, I, I have you guys on speakers, so I'm like literally just going up into people's faces like, hey, listen to this, listen to this. And they're looking at me like, who the hell are you? I'm like, no, no, it's cool. We're friends. Look, listen. And then it's just, I don't know. It's just, Hey, I grew up knocking door to door selling, you know, my grandpa's cleaning products to put food on the table. So it's not uncommon for me to just go out to random people and, yeah, I have a good vibe. So they're like, they're listening and they're like, no, never heard of this. And their their face is like, oh my gosh, is this serious? Are you serious? I'm like, yes, look. And then I pulled the stuff that you guys put on the nest. And, you know, I've been here at the airport for almost an hour and a half right now. 
uh, and I jumped in there, what, like the last 25 minutes, and then I'm walking, like letting people know what's going on. So keep talking, guys. Well, keep spreading the word. Everybody can take a page from Carolina's playbook. Help us get the listen. That it, it's all right. Yeah, that's the thing. When you go through this, it it it's not all that right. It's all right there, like all of it. They 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 have not left us to have to fill in the blanks about what their plot was. They literally go over it in detail, hour after boring hour after boring hour. And so for, for us, I think right, from, from our team, we definitely should look at how we maybe like clip and disseminate again in the lead up. But uh, that's what I love about why how you guys threw this space together, Trash and Millie and Jen, is that right every time the Sunrise movement starts like getting attention for something, that's an opportunity for us to bring more eyeballs on this thing. And so kudos to you guys for jumping right on this. And being able to dive right in. Now, the other beautiful thing, right, to, to pull a trash and, you know, get my little white pill dealer bag out. Remember that Elon Musk is suing Media Matters. Do not forget that Media Matters is a central hub in all of these conspiracies. Not not conspiracy theories, the conspir criminal cr conspiracies of... Right, all the stuff that these people do. So, because these people are planning to steal the election again, they're trying, you can be sure they're going to roll out and trot out all the same old tactics. And every time that we, they do, that's going to be another opportunity for us to both counter what they're doing. And every time we do, somebody else is going to be awoken to the fact that this these shenanigans are carefully planned out and plotted. And so the fact that we even have the information leaves me very, very optimistic about our ability to counter it in 2024. I agree. Uh, but, you know, well, like you said, you're going to pull the trash and get my white pill bag out so that, yeah, that was me. I, I agree. Uh, we're seeing it. Like, listen, it's one thing to have cancer, not knowing where it is. Another thing to have cancer and knowing where the cancer is and that you know how to cut it out. And uh, so that's, I think it's a perfect segue to, Let's talk about some more names. And Carolina being our man on the street, appreciate you. Woman in the airport correspondent. Um, you should have seen their faces when I said vote for Trump. It's like, they're all coming from Georgia. We already know the corruption of Georgia. There's like 10 ladies. I'm like, oh my gosh, they're going to jump me. <laughs> <laughs> but to, to, and, and to Dustin's point, I want to point out, it's not just a Media Matters case. Uh, Chris Pavlovsky suing Nandini Jammy. Check my ads. Again, Open Society Foundation, George Soros funding. When you crack that nut open, and when they crack open the Media Matters nut, who do you think's in there? Well, that's Norm Eisen, David Brock, Michael Teeter, 65 Project, Crew, American Bridge, Share Blue. Who else is in that group? I mean, it just goes on. Michael McFall. Michael McFall, which we're about to talk about right now. Um, um, maybe, Dustin, you can help me with the conveying of this revolver piece by Darren Beatty. Oh, sh oh I got to give a shout out. Cause I didn't have to go find it. It was down in the chat. Uh, shout out to, I don't recall to way to be quick on the draw 21 minutes ago, dropping that article down there for me. Makes it super easy. I pull up my computer. I have it. Maybe we can like tag team this a little bit, Dustin kind of go into, this was a revolver piece that Darren Beatty pulled, pull, put out pretty crazily. He put it out in September 9th of 2020. So this was before 
This was after the Transition Integrity Project, but this was before the count even came out. So, like, he was way ahead of the game here. And uh, so, Tess, can you text or DM it to me? I'm happy to go through it with you. Um, uh, And credit to Darren Beatty and Revolver News. So, as we read this, keep this in mind. Like our own Millie Weaver, Darren Beatty was trying everything he could to sound the alarm bells before it happened. What we're about to read you was before all of, like by all of the benefit of everything we know now, where he uncovered this and was trying to warn us ahead of time that they were planning this shit. It's it's absolutely stunning. And right, it gets to color revolutions. So right, so so some of the background. Uh, a color revolution is essentially undermining a country's confidence in the electoral process or election systems, right? And in that doubt, you're able to manipulate and steer and um, place whoever, whatever leader you want at the top of the country. And then there's, there's a common theme after these color revolutions, once they seize power, what did they do? They criminalize the opposition. Does that sound familiar? all the lawfare waged against Trump and his supporters, the J6ers, et cetera, et cetera, right? So this is a playbook, and that's not our words. Norm Eisen's book about color revolutions is literally called The Playbook on Color Revolutions. And these guys, here's another just, how, 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 how wild all of these things tie into each other, right? Which is Ukraine. Why is this country in Eastern Europe all of a sudden like so, why has it been such a prominent part of our news cycle and public discourse over these last few years? Has anyone ever just stopped and wondered with all the shit going on in the world, why do we care so much about Ukraine? Well, what's interesting is all of these people that we're talking about, the quote-unquote color revolution experts, share a common piece of history with each other. The 2004 orange color revolution in Ukraine, and then right, all of, they, they, they rolled the playbook out again, trash the year, 2014? Yeah, 2014, year of my done, yeah. So, so... Right, this same group of people developed and perfected this playbook by overthrowing and installing leaders in other countries, specifically Ukraine, but lots of other examples that we could go into and we will go into. And then they took that playbook and looked at President Donald Trump and said, Well, why why don't we just why don't we use the exact same playbook against the American people. And a lot of this was developed by our three-letter agencies, right, which are strictly forbidden by criminal penalty from operating and deploying these tactics against the American people. They think they got around that by using these networks of NGOs, um, which all have a similar characteristic trash. Can you believe this? They all seem to share the same lawyers. I, I wonder why you would, would you would share all the same lawyers. 
Well, it's because you can it, that that gives you a better defense if anyone tries to to get in and dig into it. That you can hide your illicit conversations and plots behind the shield of attorney-client privilege. So this is trash. Was that? It's a fifty thousand foot overview. I think it's a good lead into Darren Beatty's Perfect. article here. Perfect. And, and I know Millie uh, is digging in because some of the screenshots she's texting me right now, Dustin, are absolutely insane on the document she's going over. I, it's <laughs> OK. Well, well, we definitely be telling that story. Definitely going to be coming out with this in the reporting. Uh, but holy cow. No, that Dustin, that was perfect. And it kind of brings us back to get back in the mindset of what we were talking about when we started this space. When we talked about the transition integrity project, which was the war game scenario that Normizen was involved in, uh, it, it leads up to the document, the count and the video and all the stuff that we reviewed all the way leading up to January 6th. And now you went back to the orange revolution in Ukraine in 2004. Then the next color revolution that was pulled off with the Euromaidan protests in Ukraine again, the same people, Victoria Newland, Normizen, Michael McFall. Now, Michael McFall, I'm going to go ahead that way. When we get to the name, you'll understand what I'm talking about. Michael McFall is a, is a Hoover fellow at Stanford University. Guess who worked underneath him on the Stanford Internet Observatory project? Renee DeResta, CIA Renee DeResta. We saw this in the Twitter files as well, who she was. And in conjunction with Alex Stamos, uh, the elect election integrity partnership, they had a video at the 360 summit with the Atlantic Council, which we could have a whole other space on them. Hell, we could have a week with a lot of spaces on them. And they laid out exactly that they were explaining that they were going to be the extra constitutional NGO that was not held to the same standard that the United States government and many employees would be held to on First Amendment protected speech. And they built out the entire uh, additional censorship apparatus, which was the election integrity partnership. They moved into COVID, becoming the virality project. Michael McFall had his hands in all of that because he was a Hoover fellow at the Hoover Institute, Stanford University, and CIA Renee Barresta worked underneath her, worked underneath him. And Norm Eisen and Michael McFall that we're going to be talking about in this reporting from Darren Beatty on Revolver News from September 9th of 2020 is really, 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 really going to open your eyes if you're still listening, guys. So I know this is wonky. I know there's a ton of stuff here. But I, I really believe some of the smartest people that are on social media are on X that are probably listening in this space. A lot of people probably done more work than we've done on this. Um, we just happen to have the ability to see a lot of this stuff firsthand because of what Millie did with infiltrating the Sunrise Zoom calls back in 2020. So bravo to her. And we're going to keep going. So let's paint this brush. Let's paint this picture um, a little bit further. So we're kind of working backwards, which is neat because like before we've worked forward. Now we're working backwards. So we're working back from today to January 6th through 2020, back to 2017. And now we're going back to 2004 and up. So here we go. So this is from the reporting in Revolver News, uh, Darren Beatty, September 9th, 2020. And the article is entitled, Meet Norm Eisen, the legal hatchet man and central operative in the color revolution against President Trump. This is the third installment of the series that he wrote, but it's most relevant to what we're talking about here. In our report on Never Trump State Department official George Kent. Oh, God, George Kent. So you guys remember us talking about George Kent in 2019 and the Senate uh, committee hearing on corruption, Burisma and Hunter Biden. Uh, Senator Johnson put, put out 
George Kent was talked about it a lot. Victoria Newland's talked about it a lot, what they pulled off in 2014 in Ukraine, but we'll skip George Kent for now. Revolver News first drew attention to the ominous similarities between the strategies and tactics the United States government employs in so-called color revolutions and coordinated efforts of government bureaucrats, NGOs, and the media to oust President Trump. Our recent follow-up on this initial report focused specifically on a shadowy George Soros-linked group called the Transition Integrity Project, which convened war games exercises suggesting the likelihood of a, quote, contested election scenario, which is what we've been talking about all day, guys. And assuming chaos to President Trump refused to leave office, we further showed how these contested election scenarios that we're hearing so much play perfectly into the color revolution framework sketched out in Revolver News' first installment color revolution series. This third installment of, of, of the series, exposing the color revolution against Trump, will focus on one quiet and indeed mostly overlooked participant in the Transition Integrity Project, Bias Election War Games, Norm Eisen. And it's a real, real funny anecdote before I move to the next part of this article. <laughs> it is Jen that's taking a victory lap on this one. We're always talking about, you know, we're always talking about all these other little elements. We're talking about David Brock. We're talking about Michael Teeter. You know, I'm doing a little exposing on how he's Ray Epps' attorney for his lawsuit against Fox News, the director of the 65 Project. She's like, yeah, cool, bro. But Norm Eisen and Andy McAndrew. And I'm like, yes, I know. But like, she's like, no, bro. Norm Eisen. All right. <laughs> all right i get it <laughs> and so like that final sentence of that last paragraph i'm gonna read it again just for jen uh the series exposing the color revolution against trump will focus on one quiet and indeed mostly overlooked participant in the tip biased election war games exercise a man by the name of norm Eisen. so there you go jen there you go <laughs> she, she can hear you she's very excited Okay, cool. <laughs> I, I hear her from the bathroom being like, tell him I love it. <laughs> That's great. As the man who implemented the David Brock, Brock blueprint. Okay, David Brock blueprint is that 2017 meeting. Um, you guys can find this document. I've uh, I've shared this X probably 100 times. You can find my threads. Go find my David Brock Normizing spaces. That, that 2017 blueprint is right there. You can go grab it. Uh, so as the man who implemented the David Brock, Brock blueprint for suing the president into paralysis and his allies into bankruptcy, who helped mainstream and amplify the Russia hoax, who drafted 10 articles of impeachment for the Democrats a full month before President Trump even called Ukraine in 2018, who personally served as special counsel litigating the Ukraine impeachment, who, who created a template for internet censorship of world leaders and a handbook for mass mobilizing racial justice protesters to overturn democratic election results, there is perhaps no man alive with more decorated resume plots against President Trump. Indeed, the story of Norma Eisen, a key architect of nearly every attempt to delegitimize, impeach, censor, sue, and remove democratically elected 45th president of the United States is a tale that winds through nearly every facet of the color revolution playbook. There is no pure embodiment of Revolver's thesis that the very same regime change professionals who run color revolutions on behalf of the U.S. government in order to undermine or overthrow alleged authoritarian governments overseas are running the very same playbook to overturn Trump's 2016 victory and to preempt a repeat in 2020. To put it simply, what you see is not just the case of a color revolution playbook run against Trump, but the same people using it against Trump who have employed it in a professional capacity against Target overseas. Same people, same playbook. In Norm Eisen's case, the same people, same playbook refrain takes an 
a restingly literal turn when one realizes that Norm Eisen wrote a classic color revolution regime change manual and conveniently titled it, guess what, folks? The playbook. <laughs> My God. I laugh because it's dark. That's all. That's all why I'm laughing. Just what exactly is President Obama's former White House ethics czar? Yes, Norm Eisen was Obama's ethics czar. His longtime friend since Harvard Law School, who recently partook in war games to simulate overturning a Trump electoral victory, doing writing a detailed playbook on how to use a color revolution to overthrow governments. The story of Norm Eisen only gets more fascinating, outrageous, and indispensable to understanding the planned chaos unfolding before our eyes leading up to what will be perhaps the most chaotic election in our nation's recent history. Quote, I'd rather have this book than the atomic bomb, end quote. Before we can uh, fully appreciate the, significant, uh, the significance of Norm Eisen's Color Revolution Manual, the playbook, we must contextualize the important book in relation to its place in color revolutionary literature. As a bit of a refresher to the reader, it is important to emphasize that when we use the term color revolution, we do not mean any general type of revolution. Indeed, one of the chief advantages of color revolution framework we advance is that it offers a specific and concrete heuristic by which to understand the operations against Trump beyond the accurate but more vague term coup. Unlike the overt, blunt method of full-scale military invasion, as was the case in Iraq war, a color revolution employs the same following strategies and tactics. I don't need to go into a further uh, detail of what color revolution is. So the combination of tactics in use in so-called color revolutions do not come from nowhere. Here we go. Here we go, uh, Millie, by the way. Uh, before Norm Eisen became Gene Sharp, originator and godfather of the color revolution model that has been a staple of U.S. government operations externally and now internally for decades. Before Norm Eisen's playbook, there was Gene Sharp's classic From Dictatorship to Democracy, which might be justly described as the Bible of color revolution, such as the power of the strategies laid out by Sharp that Lithuanian defense minister once said of Sharp's preceding book upon which dictatorship to democracy builds that I would rather have this book than the nuclear bomb. It would be impossible to do full justice to Gene Sharp within the scope of this specific article. Here are some excerpts from Sharp. So it, it goes through, take a look at the article. It kind of goes through from his playbook um, it shows the various different Gene Sharp's influence on U.S. activist left and social movements abroad. Um, Mid-1960s, Thomas Schelling, Nobel Prize uh, nuclear theorist, recruited 29-year-old Sharp to work for him at Harvard. Uh, it was basically leading the CIA at the Harvard. So you're talking about like Henry Kissinger. You're talking about National Security Advisor McGeorge Bundy, future CIA chief Robert Bowie, uh, and so on and so on. It just kind of gives his bona fides. But... Uh, so we invite the reader to reflect on the passages in bold. And this is from Gene Sharp's book, by the way, um, particularly their potential relevance to the current domestic situation in the United States. Sharp's book and strategy for nonviolent revolution, a.k.a. peaceful protests, has been used to undermine or overthrow target governments all over the world and especially Eastern Europe. So this is an excerpt from his book. I'm just going to read the highlighted part in context with this article. Gene's work was influential in the downfall of the Slobodan Milosevic in Serbia, the Green Movement in Iran, the continued struggle in Venezuela, and the Umbrella Movement in Hong Kong. More recently, a book club reading his work was raided by police in Angola and its members were imprisoned. Widespread distribution and translation of Gene's work in the Middle East meant his work was written into the DNA of movements. And then blah, 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 just kind of goes through, talks about some more. Um, Gene's guidelines to the citizens protesting the 91 hardline coup against uh, Mikhail Gorbachev. 
It's really interesting to note there. There's probably a lot of threads to pull on on that one, guys. But in the years that followed, the Kremlin faced the indignity of the color revolutions in Georgia, Kyrgyzstan, and Ukraine, whose leaders were armed with copies of Gene Sharp's book, uh, From Dictatorship to Democracy, which in turn cut more flesh from the bones of the form former Soviet empire. If you think Gene's influence might be overplayed, just read Vladimir Putin advisor Vladislav Surkov's comments from 2011 anti-government protests in Moscow. Quote, this is by this is so by the Gene Sharp book. It's funny, he, he told reporters. Just months later, Gene was put on a list of most dangerous threats to the Russian state. Gene Sharp's publications can be seen as part one of the United States hybrid war field manual. This is, this is who Gene Sharp is. So that's what Millie was talking about, guys. This is the color revolution king. Like this is, I'm not going to call him Godfather because that's cool. We'll call him a king because we don't like monarchies. Finally, <laughs> finally, there's no shortage of analysis to as to the acceptability of Sharp's methods domestically within the USA in order to advance left wing causes. So I think we, I think Dustin, I think at this point we kind of review with folks like what we're, what the overall theme is with this. Yeah. And, so uh, I, I want to point people out. There is a documentary. That's the same title as Gene Sharp's book, uh, From Dictatorship to Democracy, um, that has a lot of the players. It's obviously a fluff piece. Like, oh, my God, is it Gene Sharp? Just the greatest thing that's ever happened. He wrote the book, and all the dictators hate Gene Sharp. He's such a hero. Um, but it's worth watching to understand the tactics, uh, including a bunch of interviews with Gene Sharp himself. Have you seen it, Trash? I, I, I have. Yeah, it's pretty wild. You know, I'm going to revisit it. I think it was like a year ago that I watched it because I was talking about, I think what, something else came out that time, like Ukraine on fire or something like that, I think is what yeah. that one. Yeah. Yeah, the, the, there's a couple, but they're, they're worth watching. And the reason it's important is that the, the Color Revolution playbook was really, he, he's literally Gene Sharp's kind of the founder. And then Michael McFall and Norm Eisen, who both participated and were participants from the intelligence community side of some of this stuff that was happening overseas. Sometimes it's a one-off. You don't know if they were contractors or they actually worked for the agency or what the deal is, right? Like, exactly. But uh, they basically were the Barack Obama or Hillary Clinton to Saul, Saul Alinsky and Rules for Radicals, right? Which is, they were basically the understudies during all of these color revolutions through the 90s and 2000s that became one of the most effective tactics to uh, remove a leader that we thought wasn't favorable enough to the West and replace them with somebody that the intelligence community was happy with. And we deployed this playbook all over the world. And so, right, the, the reason he's, he's laying out these different quotes from Gene Sharp uh, is because he, he he's laying the groundwork for what the the playbook on color revolutions is, and that's probably where we could jump ahead to, right, Travis? Yeah, I think we can. And I just want to kind of I'm gonna I'm gonna do one more piece here out of Norm's book, but um, one of the things that I want to point out is that the language from dictatorship to democracy. Now, were some of these countries authoritarian regimes? I mean, I guess. I mean, what is even true anymore? I mean, history is written by the victors, so I have no idea. But like, so assume that some of them were, okay? And they probably were. 
the whole point of this is to turn it on to Trump. That's why you had to call him Orange Hitler. That's why you had to call him a dictator. That's why you had to over and over and over again use that language because the troops that they trained, quote unquote, the ground people, the people in these different protest groups, they had to believe that they were fighting against a dictatorship for all of this to work. So that language is very, very important. Very important. And Hey, 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 Trash, I actually pulled up the clip of Norm Eisen praising June Sharp that's linked in the Revolver article. It's only 15 seconds long. I'm going to play it. A work of this kind, and we were inspired by uh, other work that's out there, including Gene Sharp's uh, From uh, Dictatorship to Democracy, so he's speaking at the Brookings Institute. He's on a panel with some other color revolutionaries that uh, play a part. So just, again, it can't be overstated just how tied together all of these different plots are. And remember, same group overthrowing the government in Ukraine multiple times using the color revolution playbook, same group. Exactly the same group implementing all of the censorship apparatus and setting up all of these different NGOs that we've learned about in the Twitter files, the CTI League, Whistleblower, and the Disarm Framework that we're all working through right now. So crazy. Like, the people up on stage... Like to us, all this makes sense. I can't imagine someone listening to this space for the first time and hearing all this stuff and just being like, what is going on with these guys? Like we the have... lady sitting right here next to me in the airplane. She's like, what the heck? <laughs> <laughs> I'm torturing her. I just told her she's got to listen to this. So the flight takes off. So- okay, so for, the, for, the, for your guest, uh, we're going to recap. We started talking about how what actually the events leading up to January 6th, all of the summer of love, all of the protest. Uh, Millie Weaver, our co-host, had infiltrated a Sunrise Movement group, the Sunrise Zoom calls, where they were connected with BLM, Antifa, uh, many of these other horizontally uh, aligned protest groups and leftist groups. And they basically devised a plan to create a bunch of violence and chaos all the way leading up to the election, including Election Day, and then all the way up to January 6th, to prevent Congress from meeting, from hearing any kind of contested uh, votes, alternate slate of electors, any kind of evidence at all um, in the election and try to adjudicate uh, what happened in the 2020 election. These same groups are talking about how they were going to make sure the perception was in the, around the world, that around the country, that it was the freest and fairest election of all time. You can't do challengers. Uh, Trump is a dictator, blah, 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 blah. And we are now describing the color revolution playbook that kicked all this off when Trump was elected in 2017 because he wasn't supposed to be. They thought they had it. They thought they had it locked and they did not did not foresee the American public go to do what they did. And so now we're talking about the people, a lot of the people that worked behind the scenes, uh, behind you know legal immunity and attorney client privilege to pull all this stuff off. And we're going over a gentleman by the name of Norm Eisen, who is a central figure in all of this. And how they actually wrote books on color revolutions and successfully pulled off color revolutions. Ukraine twice, Serbia, Iraq, Iran. So, um, and this is Gene Sharp here. And so we're going through that right now. And we're going to get to Michael McFall and we're going to start talking about censorship shortly. So let me uh, finish this off, Dustin, so I can kind of paint the picture for people. This is from his book as well. 
And it says, through Occupy Wall Street, the Dakota Access Pipeline protests, the new women's movement, I believe that was the pink hats, and increasingly constitutional defenses against Trump administration policy, Gene's work has been a rich resource. Now, as democratic freedoms once taken for granted and liberal democracies are under threat, Gene may yet find his greatest recognition in the country of his birth. So what he's saying here is, is that we're actually, Gene is actually going to just do, and we're going to pull it off here in the United States. It's what he's saying, his own word right there. So uh, you played the clip, Dictatorship to Democracy. And let me finish off this part and we're going to move, we're going to move to um, part of what normalizes the democracy playbook, preventing and reversing democratic backsliding. Um, it's interesting to note that I'll, I'll get there when I get there. So there we have it, folks. For, Norm Eisen, former Obama ethics czar, ambassador to Czech, Czechoslovakia during the Velvet Revolution, key counsel in impeachment effort against Trump. Reminder, Norm Eisen had 10 different impeachment uh, cases built before Donald Trump even made a phone call in 2018. He already had these rolled out, ready to go. And participant in the ostensibly bipartisan election war games called the Transition Integrity Project, predicting a contested election scenario unfavorable to Trump just so happens to be a color revolution expert who literally wrote the modern playbook in the explicitly acknowledged tradition of color revolution godfather, I say King, Gene Sharps from dictatorship to democracy. Somebody put down in the comments. So basically we're witnessing um, from democracy to dictatorship. Yes, you are. That's what's happening. <laughs> so, um, and it goes through, it kind of talks about Norm Eisen's history, kind of some of the stuff he does, but here we go. This is when uh, the Twitter files censorship, the CTI league, everything coalesces and meets into this peace. In this vein, we ought to note that the term democratic backsliding, as seen as the subtitle of Norm Eisen's book, and its opposite democratic breakthrough, are also terms of art in the color revolution lexicon. We leave the full exploration of how the term democratic is used deceptively in color revolution context, and in names of decidedly anti-democratic populist institutes, as an ex exercise to the interested reader. Michael McFall, another color revolution expert and key anti-Trump operative, somewhat gives, game, gives the game away. In the following tweet, which the term democratic breakthrough makes an appearance as a better sounding alternative to color revolution. So they want to use the term democratic breakthrough because, right, you're going from dictatorship to democracy. So color revolution is too synonymous with coup. It has bad, has bad name attached to it, bad taste. So they want to change it to democratic breakthrough. Most likely as a response, oh, I'm sorry, and let me break this down. What they describe democratic backsliding is populist representation, general representation by the populace of a country within the government. They consider that backsliding, right? So look at this. Again, I'm going to say that again so people really absorb this. They say democratic backsliding is the um, what they consider anti-democratic populist institutions and they consider democratic breakthrough the restoration of democracy from a dictatorship from the backsliding. And it is a dem democratic breakthrough. So think of it in the terms of like when you see these like uh, Grabian, Tom Elliott, they did these great like like mega clips where they show all the newscasters saying it's a danger to our democracy, a danger to our democracy. This is a threat to our democracy. Our democracy is under threat. Our democracy, what they mean is this corrupt 
establishment machine that they say is our democracy. It's really theirs. It's not ours. And they're saying that we are backsliding democratically if we want proper representation within our government and we actually have a restored republic and constitution. So that's that's how they view this. Uh, Jen, go ahead. Yeah, I just want to point out. So like uh, they keep using the word populist, right? And yes, Donald Trump was the leader of the MAGA populist movement. But arguably, uh, Steve Bannon is really the one who uh, brought this term forward and was leading populist movements all over the world, such as Brazil and, um, you know, some European countries and Brexit. Um, so when we see how badly Steve has gone, been gone after, especially with the We Build the Wall stuff where he has a trial coming up May 24th of 2024, um, I, I really think like he is one of the main targets because not only did he show that he could do it successfully here, he showed that he could do it successfully around the world and really put pressure on these people who have been trying to carry this one world government out and topple all of these other governments through Brexit and, and the stuff we saw in Brazil. Yep, absolutely. Um, that was that is that that's the playbook, and it is it, it, like the populist uprising. You know, it scared the most. It was the Europeans. So, um, I usually play this clip. I, I was playing it heavily during the Nord Stream two stuff, but there was an interview. I just randomly caught it, and it was Amanda Melius and Darren Beatty, and they were on Jack Murphy's show. Now, Jack Murphy, whatever we we saw what came out of that. I don't really care about all that. But they, they went on for about 15, 20 minutes. If you guys don't know who Amanda Melius is, she was the one, the plot against the president. She worked with like Cash Patel and Devin Nunes to get that information, to get the Nunes memo out. And then they made a documentary over it. Amanda Melius was also in the Trump administration and the State Department. And so she would go to these Atlantic Council meetings and before they kicked her out, <laughs> she's great. Uh, but she would go to these Atlantic Council meetings and, and nothing scared the old guard in these all these countries, including the central seat of power in Europe than populist uprisings. Brexit shook them to their core. Um, what's going on in Argentina right now has probably had them completely panicked because it, it, and that includes the Falklands, right? So, I mean, there's a lot of conversation to be had there. But like what's happening there is um, the uprising of populism is is frightening them. And that's why you're seeing all this stuff. Well, we're seeing what's happening in Nether the Netherlands with the pretty hard right for their for their taste, um, populists that won Geert Wilders. So th they have to crush populism in any way they can. And Amanda Melius and Darren Beatty would tell the story about Nord Stream 2. They cared so much about it. And a lot of the stuff that Trump is a racist, Trump is this and Trump is that, part of this color revolution that we're kind of laying out, is actually coming because of the populist uprisings in other countries before Trump even got to the scene. Trump was nothing but a symptom. He was not the cause. And so this is this is the game that they view it, and they view it through the lens. It's democratic backsliding if the people want proper representation in their own government. It is a democratic breakthrough if we can restore power to the establishment machine and not the, 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 the populist with proper representation. So that's how they view these things. It's really, I'm trying to paint the picture so you guys get it. And Michael McFall was paramount to this because Michael McFall was the guy, color revolution expert, that understood social media is 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 would would crush this and that's what they saw with the other countries michael mcfall another uh, color revolutionary guy i'm going to get into him so pat i, I brought you to the stage because i saw you agreeing with some things seems like you know what we're talking about but we'll make it quick and i'm gonna get back to michael mcfall 
Okay, thank you very much for bringing me up. And uh, uh, what I'm going to say is going to be very controversial, and it would actually be deemed as a conspiracy theory. Yeah. But, you know, most conspiracy theories turn out to... If I'm not going to be allowed to talk, and I have no idea who he is or what he's about to say, I'm sorry. I'm just, i got to move on. So yeah, like honestly, don't come up here and be like, "This is going to be controversial." I don't know what I'm about to say. Like, okay, none of us want to get in trouble here. We are here to present this information to you guys so we can actually change what's going on in this country. If you're coming up to derail, just don't, or you're gonna get catch Jen here. Okay. All right, and again, my apologies if it was innocent, but you, you have to watch your language. I mean, we just saw right now that X bases are going under con congressional review for foreign influence operations and actors. So this is even more time to be more careful, you guys. This is why we have our group. We have we are all real people that talk about these things with receipts only. There's no, there's no BS going on here. So all right, I'm gonna move on. Most likely as a response to Revolver News' first Color Revolution article, State Department official George Kent and former ambassador Michael McFall issued the following tweet as a matter of damage control. <laughs> Listen to this. This is a tweet from August 20, August 23rd of 2020, which is interesting because it's August 23rd of 2020, nine days after they did the Transition Integrity Project, by the way. So he says, Michael McFall says, autocrats have demonized the phrase, quote, color revolutions, end quote. And revolution generally has a negative connotation for many. Instead, I use the term democratic breakthroughs. <laughs> so I, I, think I've, I think I've adequately explained the mirror that that all this language is i don't know dustin did you want to add anything before we go on do you want to like maybe take over it's up to you what you want to do but we're kind of tag team in this so yeah no, listen you crushing it i'm happy to dive in if you want me to by the way i sorry i was uh multitasking i had that dude blocked so uh my guess is you made the right call and he was about to say some stupid shit and had already done it to me once and i'd already blocked him for it so Noted. What 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 what's funny though is as we're sitting talking about disruption agents and all of the bullshit that they weaponize and bring online, we have these people come in try to disrupt and derail the conversation. Isn't that funny? Yeah, it really is funny, isn't it? Go ahead, Jen. I'm not. Yeah, and I don't want people to think like we're being mean, guys. Right? But we understand this stuff at a level where we know that they will send like the most innocent, old, mentally challenged people to come in here and disrupt. And like, if you're not on your game and you don't know how to recognize it, they're going to completely derail the information and no one's ever going to get it out. So if it seems like we're being harsh, okay, maybe a little, I'll ask God for forgiveness, but I would rather get this information out to you guys so then we can change what's going on and then I'll work on my attitude. But after what I've been through, I'm not here to cater to people's emotions. I'm not here to have my empathy weaponized against me. I'm here for the truth and I'm here to save this country. Right. Don't get, don't basically come up here derailing because whether you are part of the, an operation to do that from the left or from the enemies or not, you get caught up in the crossfire of the fog of war. It becomes hard for us to be able to tell if you are or aren't. And we know that this is exactly what these groups use. They use these type of tactics. And guys, I'm just going to tell you right now what I found that they were sharing inside of their groups, inside of their, their Google Docs, 
is an entire manual on engaging in illegal, basically, activist terrorism. I'm not even kidding you guys right now. I don't even know how to handle this. I've thought about putting some of it out, but then I'm, but then I'm reading um, like the, the excerpt that they have at the very top and saying they're talking about how the, this is like something the FBI, um, uh, let me see. It says, no, Millie, don't put it out. Let's, uh, let's get an attorney on before we put anything says, out. Do understand uh, so this, this way they can say item. like, Oh, says, you understand this is a hot item for the feds and will likely be suppressed quickly. So it's important to, that reproduction and distribution occur as soon as possible. Please help reproduction involve some security risk. The key here is anonymity. Don't have any contact info associated with this book and don't have any website. This information is copied to associate with you to the dis- destruction of the mega machine. And then and then the whole thing is like a manual and it literally has them instructions for building bombs, instructions for sabotaging like construction equipment, putting spikes in the in trees so that it wrecks chainsaws. Um like it goes on and on like it's really really bad illegal stuff including they have actually addresses where you can purchase bombs. I mean, this is bad stuff. And so, okay, I don't... so wait a minute. I, I thought like, you know, the pipe bombs, they were so crazy. Where did they come from? We can't believe that they would put pipe bombs and then be lie about it and say Kamala Harris was there and she wasn't actually there. Oh, but you had a whole freaking manual on where to buy it, how to build it and how to distribute it. Really? Cool. I mean, it's really some very serious stuff. It's all about illegal activity. This manual is all about illegal activity. And this is something they were circulating in their group. So, I mean, I'm probably, I don't know what to do. Um, I'd like to be able to put out some screenshots. But then again, I don't know what I can get. Like, I don't know if I would get in trouble for distributing it. So I'm Millie, probably going to have to do it. We need to get a lawyer and, on this. Yeah. Um, let me just think of who we could get to jump on a call with us after this to go through this stuff. JP will be available. Okay. Yeah, definitely don't put that stuff out and don't save it to your computer. I don't know what to do with it. Well, maybe. Uh, too late. I already downloaded it because I don't want them to delete it. Yeah, make it. Maybe make evidence. It, it's yeah. all right. We also have a recording, right? That's okay. part of a journalistic investigation. Don't get over paranoid about the legal stuff. We'll be all right. All right. You want to send it to me, Willie? Is it, a, is it okay or possible? And my flight's about to take off, so I'll drop out. But just, I'm glad I heard this part. I don't want to miss it. Awesome. Thanks, Carolina, for being our course airline correspondent and uh, space sharer and uh, sandwich making extraordinaire. So appreciate you. But uh, I did send some of it to Aaron, so Aaron can attest to the yes. seriousness of what is in here. Yep. I sure did. I sure saw it. And it's not pretty. It's pretty bad. So yeah, I think we need to get into it. Anyway. All right. You're right. Don't be paranoid. You're right. It's on public recording. We are honest people. It's just, man, it makes me so nervous when you start actually exposing all of the skeletons. It's a bad deal. Okay. Let's go back to the skeletons. Here we go. Michael McFall, color revolution extraordinaire. What on earth then might color revolution expert and Obama's former ambassador to Russia, Michael McFaul, who's been a key player in agitating for uh, agitating for President Trump's impeachment, mean by democratic breakthrough? 
being a rather simple man from a simple background, McFall perhaps gave too much of his answer away in a following explanation now deleted tweet. This tweet is from September 4th, 2020. Um, 10.30 p.m. from Michael McFall. Trump has lost the intelligence community. He has lost the State Department. He has lost the military. How can he continue to serve as our commander-in-chief? Mm-hmm. Hey, With- Trash, what happened on September 4th, 2020 that would prompt him to put out a tweet like that? Let's take a look. Is, is that the day? A, if, is it a Sunday? And is that the day that Chuck Schumer uh, famously Wait, told sun- Trump? Yeah. Are you talking about six ways to Sunday, Chuck Schumer? Yep. Let me see when Chuckles said that. Oh, come on. Uh, Chuck Schumer, intelligence community has six ways to Sunday. I'll just put that in. That should be enough. No, he said that, well, I don't know, that reporting is something different. Now, it looks somewhere between August 12th and August 16th. It looks like August 12th, 2022 is when he said that. Wait, no, I'm sorry. He said that in Chuck Schumer in January 2017, you take on the intelligence community, they have six ways from Sunday to getting back at you. So that was in... This is a long time, though, definitely. They, yeah. they, it just sounds very similar like, as far as the wording goes. I know. Well, it's because it's probably it's probably the conversation that they all have. It's probably part of the threat apparatus that they all use, right? It's that ominous, boy, it sure would be a shame if this place burnt down, you know, mob insurance po- uh, pr- protection racket, right? It's the same kind of language they probably all use, most likely. Because um, I've, I've not known too many TV politicians that don't all say the same empty platitudes. They all use the same shit. Well, and, and let's not forget Michael McFaul was the ambassador to Russia during the Obama administration <laughs> um, and, and right was knee deep in the bullshit first impeachment uh, of Donald Trump over the call in Ukraine. Um, and we'll, we'll dive more in after after this particular tweet. But it, it, it was a good thought from Jen to what? What happened to spur this particular tweet? Now I'll, I'll try to take a look too. Yeah, let me see here. It might actually explain it. Oh, wait. Now, if you guys want to find it, when was this? Is the question? Um, when this is the Senate report on Burisma, Hunter Biden. And corruption. When was that? September 18th of 2020. So during that investigation, they were having hearings in the Senate and that report was released. Yeah. And then they had another hearing about it September 23rd of 2020. So they were doing the investigation all during that time. So I wonder if Trump was talking about that, that investigation that was going on by Senator Johnson and Grassley. I bet that's what that's. That's a hundred percent what it is. Yep. Right. They he, he, they were getting a ton of heat around Burisma, and of course, this freaking douchebag steps in to try to protect the Biden crime syndicate. Yeah. Yeah. And 
And the reason I, that came to my mind is because of like George Kent, Vicki Newland, they're all over that report. They're all in that investigation. Um, Michael McFall, George Kent, Norm Eisen, all these names from the, from the 2014 Ukraine stuff and all the corruption and Hunter Biden, Burisma. Keep in mind at around that same time in 2014 is when that famous email, the 20 point plan that was sent by Hunter Biden to Devin Archer laying out exactly their strategy to get Burisma over the top with visits from Joe Biden and various other high level uh, officials. And, and around that time to solidify those, those, those relationships, get De- Devin Archer on the board of Burisma. And then after they were able to get those deliverables using blue star strategies and Sally painter, that's when Biden started receiving money, Biden Inc. from from Burisma, Pozarski, and all these people in Ukraine. And part of that report in 2020 that I just referenced um, is referencing the same people that are involved in this. So that's 100%, Dustin, what this is about. Jen, hold up, hold up, hold up. So I have a uh, executive office of the president memo from September 4th of 2020. It has come to the president's attention that the executive branch agencies have spent millions of taxpayer dollars to date on training government workers to believe, deceive, anti-American propaganda. I'll put it in the group. You can read it out loud, Trash. Oh, my God. And on top of that, Millie, what we have in that in that Google Hub, the training federal workers, the document that we were going to come out with and do additional reporting in a space on. Holy cow. Trump knows freaking everything. Yep. Wait, what did you just say? Sorry, please repeat that. I'm no, so sorry. Millie, look in your text message with me and trash. I just put the document in there. So uh, I'll just paint the picture and have you take over again, Jen. So I'm looking at this tweet from Michael McFall that's connected with Normize and Color Revolutions from this article. And he put out a tweet on September 4th of 2020. It says, Trump has lost the intelligence community. He's lost the State Department. He's lost the military. How can he continue to serve as our commander in chief? So the same day, the, op- the, the executive office of the president released the statement that Jen just read. Jen, go ahead and read it for the space one more time. You're a better reader than I am, Trash, but I will pull it back. Okay, I got it. Hang on. Uh, it has come to the president's attention that the executive branch agencies have spent millions of taxpayer dollars to date on, quote, training government workers to believe divisive anti-American propaganda. For example, according to press reports, employees across the executive branch have been required to attend trainings where they are told that virtually all white people contribute to racism or where they were required to say that they benefit from racism. According to press reports, in some cases, these trainings have further claimed that there is racism embedded in the belief that America is the land of opportunity or the belief that most qualified person should receive a job. These types of, quote, trainings not only run counter to the fundamental beliefs for which our nation has stood since its inception, but they have also engendered division and resentment within the federal workforce. We believe that, so pretty much like, yeah, though, but this is the thing. 
quote, trainings. What were the trainings that we've been going over all afternoon, guys, were the ones that were actually, they weren't discussing freaking racism. They were discussing how to overthrow the government. Right, Jennifer. That's what I was bringing up to Millie was, so we have some documents we're going to come out with. She's got them. We're going to, we've been reviewing them. and go, We're going to actually have an entire reporting in space on this. Uh, I think we have those documents. Pretty sure we have them. Is that, Millie, I mean, this is what it sounds like to me. Based on what we've looked at. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm just, I'm blown away right now. Because it's like all the pieces are coming together right now. It's, it's crazy. But, but by the way, add to that, Patrick Henningsen just reached out to me. Uh, he's got a tweet out six minutes ago. New testimony by Ukrainian whistleblower exposes U.S. and Biden family corruption in Ukraine. Uh, Ex-Ukrainian MP Andrei Drkoch reveals new details of Biden corruption in Ukraine. Read and watch. Yeah. So, Dustin, that is from that's some of the documents from Simona Papadopoulos's documentary that she just dropped when she went over to Russia and had the interview with Drkoch. I haven't had a chance to watch the full thing yet, but I know she wants to do a space on it after we watch it and review it, because I want to ask her what new receipts she has. Well, it looks like Patrick has gotten some of those from her and has released them. So I'm going to go check that tweet out. Uh, I need to gather. That's, that's fine, because when I was doing the J6 post, I found that uh, I have an interview, Jen interviewing George and Simona about all this stuff that we have never released anywhere. So I've, I've, I, it's crazy how this is all coming together. It, it it feels divine a little bit. I'm not gonna lie. It's absolutely divine. And by the way, so, uh, uh, Simona Papadopoulos literally has a killer, killer fashion line. If you haven't checked it out yet, you need to go check her out. She's in New York Fashion Week. Great stuff. Jen, Dustin, I'm here. Oh fuck! There goes the neighborhood. Right, let me get to the hands, and I'm going to get back to the documents. Just, Gavin, you got up, and I'll get to you, Prescott. Just go ahead, Gavin. Yeah, I wanted to uh, bring up that connection I found where I was able to show one of the affinity groups tightly connected to the Sunrise Movement was part of an event, and I don't want to mention the event because I don't want them to go delete this, but basically they were hosting an event where Norm Eisen was a speaker. And what's interesting is if you then go look at the other platform where they have the video footage from the meeting all the dialogue is copied and pasted except for one name norm eisen so look at how rich that is it and it's always your chain is only as strong as your weakest link and the problem is it doesn't matter how connected norm is how trained he is, how sophisticated and smart he is. His cover story, his narrative is only as strong as the weakest link. So when you have a bunch of young people copying, pasting, trying to mirror and emulate the lawyer tricks that they're seeing, they're the ones that are going to make a big mistake. And when, when you get further down the rabbit hole and understand to to the extent that they were actually separating what Norm Eisen was doing with what the Sunrise Movement is doing. And then this one little slip up, it shows you how easy this is going to be able to be taken down by way of the Zoom chats with the Sunrise and all their documents. They are the weak link 
in this operation. They were the amateurs. They were the ideologues too, right? These were the shock troop, ground troop, uh, completely propagandized, you know, um, what's the term I want to look for, indoctrinated through the universities and schools and Marxist trainings. These are the weak links, to your point, Gavin. They don't have any life experience. They don't understand how to run covert things. They think they're being secretive. But again, when they had control, like what I'm talking about here, like with uh, Michael McFall and the censorship and mis and disinformation apparatuses that were built, they really felt comfortable that they could probably talk about a lot of this stuff and it would be then there would be complete interference. This is why the Twitter files and why they're going so hard after Elon for X and why all countries seem to be coalescing and trying to wedge back in censorship because you've got to shut this down. You've got to shut this up because that's when the weak links show themselves, Gavin, to your point. I, that's a great point, as always, of course. Uh, Prescott, go ahead. Hi, guys. Thanks for bringing me up. Hey, um, just to touch on what you said, you know, uh, in communist regimes after the the revolutions, a lot of these ground troops are the ones who get um, executed first because they know too much in their um, loose cannons. So these guys are uh, being used right now and they will become enemies of the state after if they're ever successful. Um, but I wanted to touch on um, some of the, you know, we're talking about working backwards from 2020 now and being able to find out what they did and being able to be proactive about it now. Has anybody been watching this Elon Musk um, thing about, uh, you know, he's talking about some of the election integ integrity issues, but he posted a document from Arizona that said um, that basically illegal aliens are not allowed to vote. They have, you know, yeah. you're required to attest that you're Prescott. not an American Prescott. citizen, all this stuff. Prescott. But what they're saying Prescott. is, yes. Yeah, I, we're, we're derailing here, but I'm going to get back to topic. I know you're you're one of the good guys, so I'm not going to bounce you, but I, I really need to keep painting this picture. I don't want to derail into something else. Can I be very, very brief no. on this? Because it does tie back in. All right. Bring me up later. Thanks. No problem. Thanks. Bye. All right. Oh, I think somebody hit a button. Was that me? Maybe. Yeah. I'm so sorry. That was uh, totally on accident. Yeah, no worries. Okay, so where we're at here, uh, we're kind of discovering now why that tweet was put out by Michael McFall in 2020, because it's due to exposing this, these trainings. Um, and And again, there's some documents on these training federal workers, how to have these sessions, um, how to be simple disobedient with your superiors in these government agencies and offices and how, uh, and we're going to come out with that. I'm not going to go into it in this space. It's a whole other space, a whole other topic, but that's interesting. We just figured out exactly why Michael McFaul was having a melty. <laughs> so it's part of the revolution. And I was going to say to Prescott's point, uh, if you haven't go read Solzhenitsyn, um, our Gulag Archipelago. He talks a lot about a lot of that, how the revolutionaries were the first against the wall because they have in nature, revolutionary nature, and they know too much. So important point. Um, so a deep dive into Eisen's book would exceed the scope of this relatively brief expose. It is nonetheless important for us to draw attention to key passages of Eisen's book to underscore how closely the playbook corresponds to events unfolding right here at home. Indeed, it would not be an exaggeration to say that the regime changed professionals uh, such as Eisen and simply decided to run uh, the same playbook against Trump that they have done countless times when foreign leaders are elected overseas that they do not like and want to remove via extra democratic means, quote, peaceful protests. 
or democratic breakthroughs is what I was talking about. So this is from Brookings. This is from his book, The Anatomy of Illiberal States. He says, once in power, liberal governments capitalize on popular support to deploy discernible toolkits. And then he kind of goes down a little bit. I'm actually going to skip over a lot of this stuff. But it's essentially kind of what we were talking about earlier, the far right populist parties, as they're labeling them. They don't want any kind of populist movement. Brexit scared the hell out of them. Got to lock this down. Color revolutions. Let's put it on the American people. Trump can't win. So far right populist parties, many with illiberal tendencies, have gained a toehold in the majority in 23 of 28 EU member states parliamentary systems. You guys remember when I was talking about how it shook the European central planner power to the core with like Brexit and many of these other populist uprisings. He's talking about it right here in this book. Far-right populist parties, many with illiberal tendencies, have gained a toehold in the majority of 23 of 28 EU member states' parliamentary systems. The ability of political opposition and civil society to operate gives pro-democracy actors an urgent window of opportunity to push back on illiberal, illiberal activity. And the thing is, what's crazy about this, this is why I don't call them liberals. Uh, people on the left, I call them leftists. Because liberals or classical liberals found themselves now outside of the Overton window on the right. And so to call them liberals, I think is a misnomer. Uh, you really have to call them leftists, progressives if you want, but they're leftists. They're not liberals. But they use this language of illiberal tendencies. What does that mean? Well, we know what that means because liberal actually means liberty, freedom and personal responsibility, but it does not mean what it is now. And if you go through this, it kind of says, if you study this passage closely, you'll find direct confirmation of our earlier point that democracy in the color revolution context is a term of art. And it refers to anything like they like to keep the national security bureaucrats in power. Is what I was talking about earlier. Uh, anything they don't like, even if elected democratically, is considered anti-democratic or put another way, uh, democratic backsliding. Eisen even acknowledges that the scourge of populism he's so worried about actually was un ushered with popular support under relatively democratic electoral processes. So skipping ahead, um, this is Michael McFall's book now. So again, I want to remind you, um, Michael McFall, also a color revolutionary extraordinaire, Hoover fellow at uh, Hoover Institute in Stanford, um, was main the main person behind all the censorship machines being built out of like the Stanford Internet Observatory, Kate Starbird's work, Renee DiResta, Alex Stamos, all these characters underneath Michael McFall out at Stanford in this uh, censorship machines that they were building. S.J. Turp is a different character altogether. She was working on a different project. But uh, this is kind of Michael McFall. Dustin, do you want to jump in here? I'm going to take a, take a breather on my voice. If you can, I know you're working on stuff, but. No, no, it's okay. Vinny just joined us in-house. It's always great to meet everybody in person. Listen, so back to Michael McFall. Cannot stress enough, Russian ambassador during the Obama administration and somebody who is knee-deep in that first... Same with, guess who, Norm Eisen, right? So that's the other standout piece of this Beatty article, right? Is that Norm Eisen had drafted before the impeachment, like before the phone call even happened, the impeachment articles against President Trump. And you know, Jen's yelling at me from upstairs. Uh, you know who the only other person on that call was? Between Biden and Poroshenko? It's a different call. She always screws this up and then it knocks me off course. I know. Right? It was Anna McCandrew. You know who Anna McCandrew is? 
Anna McCandrew was the quote-unquote censorship czar at Facebook in the lead-up to the 2020 election. Atlantic Council, Aspen Institute, served at The Hague as the same time as Jack Smith, the dirty motherfucker who's uh, prosecuting Trump right now. This is all, all of, this is not a large universe of people who are doing this. And that's, that's kind of the brilliance of the Color Revolution playbook, right? Which is, it's all about control of the media, control of public perception, the undermining of elections, the stirring up racial animosity. Think, think, right? Think about that. Uh, you, you get astroturf groups to stir up racial animosities. Does that sound like the summer of love to anybody else? Black Lives Matter. In, in order to create these uh, division groups. Now, that the other crazy part, and Trash, I'm sorry if I missed it, uh, if you just went over this, but I, I want to emphasize it. Specifically, in Norm Eisen's playbook on color revolutions, they talk about using impeachment in order to undermine the incumbent that you're targeting. Listen to that again. Using impeachment specifically by a legislature in order to undermine a sitting president. And in the playbook, it specifies that it does not matter if it's successful because you can use the fact that there was an impeachment to cause and discredit whoever the incumbent is. It's all about just sowing a seed of doubt in people's minds that corruption could have happened. Now think about how far they've had to stretch with President Trump on all this stuff. And, and, and that might be the most impressive thing about Trump to me, is that in order to get him, they've had to basically make up shit whole cloth. They've had to take laws and be like, it's never been used this way, but it kind of sounds like maybe we could totally do it. I mean, Fat Alvin Bragg, all of this group of people led by Norm Heisen and Michael McFall and Anna McCandrew and David Brock, right? It is all intertwined, and it is not that big of a group of people. Wait, what do you think, Trash? Senior leadership, maybe 10, 15? 20, max? I mean, yeah, because it, 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 this is the thing. This is what I keep telling people who want to become new investigative journalists. The, the names, remember the names. Like, go look, yeah, 15, 20, maybe. That's all you need, right? And, and, and that's leadership. Underneath that, there's several hundred who, like, perform the day-to-day -day tasks. But, like, the people who travel to all these different conferences, whether it's the Aspen Institute or Davos or all the, the, the net roots, that's another one that has been a boon of videotaped information where they, right, net roots is like the, the Democrat version of CPAC where they all get together and they get on stage and they brag about all the ways that they attacked Republicans and how important they are. And that served to help us create a lot of tape. The other is, I'm so glad that these people don't understand operational security and are not able to keep their fucking mouth shut. Like, what, what, one of the beautiful things about this, and we, we've seen this over and over again, Aaron Berman, um, it, with, with Norm Eisen. I mean, Norm Eisen's a CNN contributor. The crazy thing is they, they'll bring Norm Eisen on to analyze 
the current plot against Trump. And he'll literally be like, yeah, because I wrote this law, because I wrote this law in particular, I can tell you that Trump's guilty. We're definitely getting, the walls are closing in and the orange man is going to prison. But these, these are really, I shouldn't make too much light because these really are evil sons of bitches. And they deserve nothing but our contempt and criminal attention and civil, like civic uh, law, civil lawsuits. Right. And, and to be honest, wait until we start coming out with the stuff. So one, one of the cool things, and well, I don't know if you want to touch on it again for people who may not have heard earlier when we went over this, but we have found the specific incidents reports that name people by name and incident and actions that were taken against them, including me and Jen, including Melly, including Patrick Henningsen, including um, Zach Voorhees and Miriam, the bee lady, our friend Miriam, great person. She's in here all the time. Uh, Mickey Willis and Plandemic. And uh, so many smaller accounts, we can't even begin to like, creating a list would take us probably a thousand tweets. But we have the specifics now. And what, what that allows us for, maybe some civil litigation. Right? Maybe maybe we finally have enough of the direct like correlation and action to actually bring lawsuits against these people, which will only give us more access. Right? More access and discovery to uncovering the whole thing. And wait until we get right, wait till we see what David uh what Elon's able to get out of David Brock and Media Matters, what Chris Pavlovsky is able to get out of Nandini Jammy, right? What Tim Pool's able to get out of all these people. These people have systematically subverted, attacked, and tortured people for disagreeing with them politically. They've censored us, they've debanked us, and they've overthrown our government. The coup didn't happen on January 6th. The coup happened when they stole the election. And we know because we have them actively planning for, okay, well, what happens when we flood the zone with mail-in ballots days after the election? That's their plan. It's, and it sounds wild. Even, even as I sit here listening to myself, right? And I've, I, maybe I was, maybe because I was thinking about Carolina earlier. How, how do we disseminate this information out to a broader public without them immediately go, that sounds too, there's no way to, it has to be, we have to clip it in their own words and we have to probably do it through the courts. More and more thinking that. Or maybe we have to launch a media venture. I don't know. if I, I, I would certainly follow Trash and Millie wherever they went. I'm just saying. Go ahead, Jen. Yeah, I mean, maybe this makes me like a bad American or like a bad, like, I didn't know how important January 6th was, right? And honestly, when they were like, after our December rally there, when we started like planning our next rally and there, it's going to be January 6th. I'm like, that's a really random freaking day. Like, why are we doing it on January 6th? Like, why not January 20th? Yet, if you look at these plans, they have all of this shit laid out. And if they thought that they had won the election legitimately, why are they planning for all of these other dates with all of this other shit that just shows their intent to steal a legitimate election? And what don't wait, wait, like don't, trash guy build on that? Yeah. 
because this, this, this is the key point. Throughout this thing, right, the, the tone and understanding you get when you put yourself inside these documents uh, deeply is that they are terrified of President Trump or anybody else bringing to light uh, all of the shenanigans that could be uncovered. Right, that 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 they want to prevent the exposure of all the the mail-in ballots, the ballot stuffing, the counts, all of it. Right, that they are really deeply concerned about maintaining public perception and preventing anybody from looking into it. Now, let's go back to January six. What was supposed to happen on January six? They were supposed to convene. And as they start, as they open the envelope for each individual state in alphabetical order, starting with Arizona, uh, a member of the House would object. A senator would second the objection, which would cause the body to split to their respective houses. The House would go to the House chamber. The Senate would go to the Senate chamber. And they would spend one hour presenting evidence of why they were objecting. And a large team of us had spent a lot of time specifically going over which member of the House and which senator would speak on which topic. And what was the result of January 6th? Was it so that MAGA somehow, like, no, it, it disrupted our plans. And, and that's the whole point. The whole point, the whole gamble. It was so important them, to them that the public not be made aware of everything the, that was already uncovered with their shenanigans. They took a crazy risk by launching this attack on January 6th and using all of the same characters, including, Millie, weren't you the first one? Was it? I, I, I could have swore that in the Rudy documentary or when you were meeting with Rudy right after J6, that you, you guys identified some of those Ukrainian operatives in the crowd, right? Do I, I have my memory mixed up on that? Um, I know that at that time period, I was putting out a bunch of tweets and I was kind of, uh, I was, I was utilizing the, I guess, crowdsourcing into, for of the internet, if that makes sense. So I'd put certain things out like, oh, how, who are these people? And then people would all come in and next thing you know, it would lead to, these individuals being identified. So I, I, I wouldn't say it's fair to say that like we solely um, identified them, but um, we ended up very quickly learning the identities of, the, of these individuals and passing them on to, you know, White House uh, people. I appreciate it. I mean, it was such a blur, but again, we have some of the same agent provocateurs that we can find in the color revolutions in Ukraine. Right, Mary. Yeah, I, I always screw that name up. Trash will, trash will cover for me. Mary, same organizers, same planners, and a lot of the same on the ground agent provocateurs stirring up shit. How much more evidence do we need? I just, I'm, I'm kind of uh, just in a different mind space right now after the stuff I just read. Um, pertaining to all the illegal nefarious activities in this manual that they were passing around. But I think so, it's a bit ironic because all throughout their other documents that you can tell they hand out to their 
foot soldiers and the more like casual participants, I guess you could say. Um, they're like, we're nonviolent, we're nonviolent, this is all nonviolent. And then, you know, they're inside there, they're, they're passing around manuals about like how to make bombs and stuff. So it's, it's, I'm just tripping out right now on that um, kind of uh, hypocrisy, I guess you could say. But let's get real. We all know that these leftist protest groups aren't nonviolent. How many times have we seen the media, you know, covering these protests as being peaceful protests all the while with the summer of uh, love riots, the George Floyd riots, they were burning down police stations, burning police vehicles, rioting, you know, obviously clearly being violent. Um, So, yeah. Go ahead, Jen. Yeah, I mean, Millie, we could shut this down so we could get on that call, um, the three of us and Dust and JP, and kind of go through all that because I think like I could understand why you're, uh, you you've just can yeah I I get where you're coming from. So trash, that's that's my suggestion. Yeah, so let, let me spike the football here um, on Michael McFall's Color Revolution book and kind of put. Everything that we've reviewed today, everything we've reviewed over the last year, kind of in a nice little neat package, and I can do that. But Millie, go ahead before I do that. Um, no, you're you're fine. I mean, go ahead, go ahead. Okay, so this is where I wanted to kind of land the plane on this conversation. the The, the article goes much longer. It's down in the chat. It's the uh, normizing with the like the tie dyed background almost. Uh, if you want to take a look at the article, but. So there's a passage above in this article where it explains kind of like the conditions of which a color revolution would need, what would need to be happening conditions on the ground that would facilitate a color revolution. Let's go through like six bullet points and there's more than that, but let's go through these six bullet points and I'll tag Dustin in and we'll get what, and we'll get some final thoughts. I'll wrap this all up in a bow. I'll get Prescott's uh, comments that he wanted to make and we'll kind of do some last bit of effort and then we'll jump on that phone call. So this is where Dustin and I are going to spike this football in this conversation. And so if you're looking at Michael McFall's book, again, Michael McFall, ambassador to Russia, Michael McFall, Hoover Fellow, Stanford, Stanford University, Rene DiResta, they all worked on the, on the Stanford Internet Observatory. They created all the censorship apparatus that we saw on social media that, that was exposed in the Twitter files. And I think Mike Benz even talked about it during the same time of the Twitter files, so he knew. That was cool. Um, but OK, so uh, consulting the above passage from Michael McFall's book, we note that McFall has been perhaps the most explicit about the conditions which which facilitate a color revolution. We invite the reader to supply contemporary analog to each point as kind of an exercise. Number one, it would uh, a condition would be a semi-autocratic regime rather than fully autocratic. Uh, number two, an unpopular incumbent. Note the blanket negative coverage of Trump, fake polls. Number three, a united and organized opposition. We're talking media, intel, Hollywood, community groups, Message, 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 everything. Affinity groups, all of it. United and organized opposition. Number four, an ability to quickly drive home the point that voting results were falsified, i.e. Transition Integrity Project, right? Number five, enough independent media to inform citizens of falsified vote, see full court press and media pushing contested election narrative, social media censorship. I would remind you, what were the questions that Donald Trump got for all of 2020? Will you participate in a peaceful transfer of power? They kept asking him that. They kept asking him over and over and over again. 
And I remember it sticking out to me. I'm like, that is so weird. Like, it's like they almost know that they're going to steal this election for sure and how they're going to do it. And there's nothing that can be done about it. And I remember thinking that. And then now, after everything we've talked about and exposed over the last you know, few years, it's, it's clear. So let me read that one more time. Enough independent media to inform citizens of falsified vote. See full court press and media pushing contested election narrative, social media censorship. Okay, it's very important. Number six, a political opposition capable of mobilizing tens of thousands or more demonstrators to protest electoral fraud. Sunrise Zoom calls, all of these affinity groups, these horizontally leftist groups, you could, you could mobilize tens of thousands of demonstrators, Black Lives Matter, Antifa, Summer of Love, all of this, they, were, they would have been mobilized in, in a minute. So yeah, of all those six points, we can point to directly specific examples and we can do this for hours in that analog. And on point number four, which is especially relevant to our present situation, which was the ability to quickly drive home the point that voting results were falsified, what we're talking about here at the Transition Integrity Project, especially relevant to our present situation, Norm Eisen has an interesting thing to say about the role of a contested election scenario in the Orange Revolution, are arguably the most important color revolution of them all, which was 2004 Ukraine. This is, this is excerpt G, and this is gonna, we're going to land the plane here, but Ukraine's Orange Revolution, a case study of external support to civil resistance movements. So Ukraine's nonviolent Orange Revolution of 2004 helped to bring the democratically elected Viktor Yushchenko to power after widespread election fraud had resulted in the victory of Prime Minister Viktor Yanukovych. External actors, including USAID, Bro, just say CIA. You don't have to say USAID anymore. Just say CIA. It's many. It's less letters. The Westminster Foundation, the National Endowment for Democracy, again, another cutout, and the Alfred Mosier Foundation. So we go in. One of the leading organizers of the Orange Revolution, PORA, meaning it's time, received grants from the German Marshall Fund, Freedom House, Canadian International Development Agency, and others. Ot poor leader Alexander Marich ran seminars for Ukrainian activists in Serbia. And it goes on and on about the other color revolutions, Serbia, Czechoslovakia, on and on and on and on and on. And so looking at this and everything that we've given you guys today, again and again, and we painted this big picture and there's a lot of information that came flying at you today, I know it, but we have all, we have all these documents. This is not conjecture. We're reading from their own stuff. Was there anything different that Michael McFall or Norm Eisen had identified as conditions pertinent to color revolution that didn't take place in our country in 2020, but from 2017 to 2020, I, I don't see any different. I don't know. No, there's no difference. The only difference is, is that they went against their own people, right? Like, I don't care. Like if that's your job for the United States government, that you go over there and do it more power to you but you're doing it against your fellow fucking countrymen to take away their right to vote, to speak, to, to even function in society. Like you were the lowest form of scum. And, and trash, I'll add this, which is all of the infrastructure that they brag about building that they lay out in their playbook, the NGOs, the media, the protests, all of it has two common characteristics one of them is norm eisen as either chief counsel lead counsel or general counsel and the other is funding from the open societies foundation which is funded by george soros 
Th th those are two of all, right? So we have here, right? We have this playbook of the, this is what we do in order to launch color revolution. This is all the things we need. We need NGOs. We need media outreach. We need protests, right? Uh, we need all of this infrastructure. The two pull-throughs, what they did in 2020, all the stuff that we've been going over. Norm Eisen, as general counsel or lead counsel or some kind of like senior counsel at all of the different organizations. And like I said, I believe that is to shield the coordination and communications between the different groups behind attorney-client privilege. That's one. And two, funding from the Open Society Foundation um, could not be more clear. Criminals. And, and if Republicans had any, like if the weaponization had any effing sense at all, they would be way, way, way further along than a bunch of people on the internet bringing all this stuff forward, right? I, I, I don't want to not end this without sharing my contempt for the fact that they have actual investigative powers that go beyond what Millie's able to do, what Trash is able to do, what Jen is able to do, what name, what all of the people who have contributed to this have been able to do. Tyabi Schellenberger. They have the ability to subpoena internal comms, communications. They have the ability to put people under oath and ask them questions. And yet, again, we have to be the ones out in front. And it's shameful. Shameful. Jim Jordan needs to get his shit together and hire trash discourse to put together some freaking hearings. That's exactly what the left does, by the way. I don't know. I don't know if Trash would want the job, but that's well, 100% what they should do. You know what really bothers me, Dust? And, and I know, like, I can kind of, like, talk to you about this. Um, my dad had extensive, extensive interactions with Michael Cohen uh, before Trump even ran for office. We're talking 2008, 2009, 2010. My dad always said that Michael Cohen was a double agent. When my dad would go in to do business with Donald Trump, Michael Cohen would literally come over to my dad and be like, oh, Bob, talk to me about my buildings. Talk to me about my real estate. Fuck Donald, right? You don't need to work with him. I'll give you a better deal. This guy was constantly, and I'm going to bring my dad in for him to like go through this story with you guys because he would love to tell it. Um, but I'm pretty sure that Michael Cohen was either co-opted or originally sent in so they could pierce that attorney client privilege with Trump. Because like, how else do you, how it's almost like unfathomable that you pierce attorney client privilege and look at how fast they did it. And the more and more and more, I used to think my dad was nuts. Like I'd literally yell at him and be like, dad, you're crazy. Right now I'm not. Now I'm seeing exactly what the hell played out. And like, this is not okay, guys. Like, I don't know what to do about this, but like, we have to do something peacefully. Yeah, I was gonna say peacefully and like democratically, constitutionally, <laughs> Mr. Mr. Jim in the van. Uh, yes, I would probably accept that job, Dustin. I mean, I'd like to get paid for all of this stuff because we don't make money on this. <laughs> I literally make zero dollars. I have a full-time job to pay my bills. Uh, which is not doing well right now in Bidenomics, but uh, you know that's neither here nor there. But yeah, no, I mean I'd love to. I mean I know I know I've done a little bit of work with some people to get some information up to Congress, but like this, 
I mean, this is like a this is like a ten hour documentary like whiteboard session to go through all this. But it needs to be investigated. Like, imagine people with actual power, subpoena power, congressional power, being able to actually investigate this. Holy moly! Especially with what a lot of the documents that we found that Millie got from the Sunrise Zoom calls. Like, if if they knew those documents, they might they might not exist. But if they didn't, there's probably paper trails and records all over littered all over our agencies and and different offices within the government that would show that this stuff's going on i mean god the reason michael mcfall was so big mad about trump and the intel community in the state department against trump was because apparently this letter that came out that same day exposing a lot of this stuff he knew so all right that's wrapping up well god we're going on four three and a half, four hours probably at this point. But that wraps up another part of this. We're going to keep doing this from time to time. Anytime a new story comes out, we're going to do this again. Anytime a new name comes out, we're going to do it again. Because until somebody, the right people hear this or some somehow, some way, someone decides to care about this enough to actually constitutionally, civilly take it on. And like Dustin pointed out earlier, you guys don't think that media matters. Elon's suit is a big deal. Trust me, it's a massive deal. Because that what that involves is all of this stuff, too. So it's common. I just hope I hope they don't try to do some kind of settlement and go off the books. I hope Elon says, I don't need the money. I need discovery and breaks this thing apart. So um, thanks, guys, for being here for the space. Now I'm going to open up for general comments, questions, everything else. But before I do, before I get to you, Prescott, any of my, any of my co-hosts up here, do you guys have any final thoughts on the topics we just went over before we kind of move on a little bit? Remember the names, remember the names, remember the names, remember the names. And then we saw this yesterday uh, with the journalist that was murdered in the Ukraine, an American citizen murdered because the Biden administration abandoned them in a Ukrainian jail. One of his last tweets or his pin tweets on his page is a list of names that you need to look up in order to uh, get the full picture of what really happened in Ukraine with Zelensky. And it really is remember the names. So normizing, um, there's there's so many trash. I know you can rattle them off better than I can, but like there's the level to which the corruption is so evident is really scary, um, especially going into an election year. And I I'm gonna do all I possibly can to get this information out. Um, so I hope you guys will join join me. Thanks, guys. Yeah, go ahead, Millie. Yeah, I just um you know, I just really want to emphasize again just how well planned and organized these groups operate and how you know we're just going to continue to expose and release their internal documents that I was able to obtain throughout the Sunrise Movement investigation. And I think that really just shedding light on how they operate it really kind of puts a lot of um it puts a lot of puzzle pieces together for people and what we've been seeing, right? We've clearly been seeing, and all throughout Trump's presidency, we witnessed um, psychological operations and we couldn't quite put the thumb, our thumb on it and call it for what it was because we didn't have the vocabulary. We didn't understand the terms. We didn't understand what was happening. We just knew that something didn't seem right, right? And now we're at the point where we know exactly what's going on. We can call it by its name. We can we can point it out. We know that these these um, 
protesters are literally reading off scripts. They have prefabricated talking points. They're, everything is planned. There is no coincidence with how these groups operate. I know a lot of people would point out like, oh, look, these are paid protesters, right? And I think that that was their ability to, you know, that them trying to kind of, you know, make sense of what they were seeing. Um, now, I don't know if these people are being paid to do this or not. I haven't found any direct evidence yet of that. But what I do see is that these groups of people are extremely organized and there is a, a higher up um, system that is organizing them and is directing them, is giving them very clear um, instructions on how their movements operate. And what we see is that the same like leadership, like BLM and shut down DC and sunrise and all these different left-wing groups that we think are like their own independently operating little entities. Um, they are all getting instruction from momentum. They're getting instruction from the same organizations. And so therefore that gives the people at the top of that pyramid, the ability to have all this control and move these organizations, these protest groups around on the, um, on the chessboard, so to speak, right? And then when you see the orchestration with left-wing journalists, left-wing media, which I won't even call them journalists at this point, but left-wing media and the orchestration with Democrat campaign, um, high-level uh, directors, and you see just how um, these organizations all came together and worked together in a unified front to make sure that Donald Trump would not stay in the White House. Um, and that is what their main goal was, to make sure he would not stay in the White House. And even in some of their Zoom calls, they specifically talk about refusing to hand over the keys of government to Trump and his administration if he um, you know, tries to uh, be, be go into the White House and stay into the White House in 2021. So they were very clear about that they wanted to, to essentially stop Trump and, you know, prevent him from being president again. So, yeah, I mean, I think that's kind of a, a good overview in a way of, um, what we've been talking about, but these groups are connected to January 6th. They had plans for January 6th that involved taking over the Capitol building and staging protests inside to intentionally shut down the electoral college vote count on January 6th. Um, this is the only group I've actually seen that has been organized enough to pull off something like what we saw on January 6th. And we really just want a proper investigation. We, where's law enforcement? Where's Congress? Where's the FBI? Where are these agencies looking into the activities of these groups? Because clearly they want to look into the activities of, you know, upset soccer moms at uh, school board meetings. They want to look into, you know, any little conservative organization possible, but they don't want to look into this. Give me a break. There's something wrong there. And if the FBI won't do it, then our congressional representatives need to do it. And the only way we're going to get them to move and to act is we actually have to start um, calling them, messaging them, tweeting them, letting them know that we're very concerned and that we're demanding a proper investigation into these organizations um, so, you know, that, that's kind of where I'll land my plane. Yeah. And I just want to point out what I pointed out earlier and, and something I, every single time we come across something like this, 
is that they have put this all out in the ethos, in the dark hole of the internet, right? It gives them plausible deniability because they can turn around and be like, oh, well, it was out there. We put the information out. It's not our fault you didn't find it, right? But it also, there's so much miss and dis and, and malinformation out there mixed in with the truth that they're able to hide it. And then because they were running the censorship apparatuses, they were able to censor their own information from being found. And I, I think that's why we're coming across a lot of this stuff when a lot of us have been looking for this stuff forever. And all of a sudden we're finding it uh, once, you know, the censorship apparatus has been exposed. So I don't want them to be able to have this plausible deniability. So if you guys are out there researching, right, start Googling, start Googling the names, right? Make sure you're screenshotting, make sure you're saving everything. You're more than welcome to message me, DM me. Um, I will help you go through the information um, or get it to somebody who can. Um, but it's going to take a whole lot of us because there's a ton of information out there that I am now convinced is just hidden uh, because of the vastness of the internet. And I don't want them to be able to get away with this. And furthermore, I know listening to this stuff has got to be enraging. I mean, I know Jennifer's upset. I'm, you know, I'm angry, you know, internally saying, how could, how could this happen? But it's really that, yeah, we all knew this happened. It's just, how did they do it? So when you hear this information and you go to take it out and you take it to the public and you talk to people about this, you try to show them the information. Maybe, maybe you have relationships with Congress people. Maybe you have relationships with people within the own government and you try to take it to them. But what a, the main point of bringing this all out, talking about it, laying it out in front of you, giving you all the receipts, giving you all the documents, tying it all together. So take a look at this. You tell me what else this means is not to get people angry and go out and do something stupid. They want you to do that. They would love nothing more than someone go completely mad and start doing like bomb threats or getting violent or getting out there saying, this is 1776 part two, water the tree of liberty with blood of patriots. Like, no, no. There, we have a very powerful document called the Constitution. We have a serious problem where we have an unelected fourth branch of government. I talk about Project 2025 all the time. But this is designed, hopefully, somebody with larger platforms that have millions of, of, of people in their audience that can lay this out, make it easy, ingestible, and bite-sized so people really understand and then can use the legal and constitutional means to try to start to unravel and break this thing apart. That's what Trash, you know I don't interrupt you, but just to add on to that. We are willing, I, I, I don't want to speak for a trash or Millie, but I myself, I'm willing to go on anyone's show and break this down for you guys and, and try to get this information as wide and as far as possible. And, and I'd venture to say that trash and Millie would be willing to do the same thing. Oh, absolutely. You know, I, I've, I've been really wanting to try to get as much exposure on this as possible. And so if, if anyone um, wants to have any of us on the, their shows, obviously um, reach out to us. You could comment below. But, you know, I think that um, the real thing is, is in order to get this, the attention it needs for Congress to do something, we actually do need help from other conservatives that have big platforms. And we need help as well just from the, the people, right? The conservative people to share the information, share it tweet about it um, and, and, you know, raise a lot of uh, basically raise their voices.
because if we don't do something, I don't think Congress is going to act. I think all these politicians care about is public perception, how their constituents view them, whether or not they think they're going to get elected, you know, reelected because the people are happy with them or not. So the only way we're going to get them to to really take the time, I think, to even do anything about any of this is we actually have to raise some some noise. We actually have to start, um, you know, doing these things. And and that could also mean um, tweeting towards like other conservatives with big platforms that you think should be covering this and, and basically saying, hey, why aren't you covering this? Why aren't you having you know, Millie or Jen or, or Trash or any of these people who understand the material on your shows. Why aren't you showing the documents? Why aren't you talking about the, the groups of people that were plotting to, um, you know, stage protests and physically take over the Capitol on January 6th to shut down the Electoral College vote count? Why aren't you talking about those people and those groups? Like, we could be utilizing, I mean, there's there's 446 people in this uh, space right now listening every single one of you guys tweeted towards, you know, your, your favorite conservative shows that have big platforms, then they're going to be bombarded with 500 or, or 400 or so tweets all at once on one topic. And they're going to go, what is this? Maybe I should pay attention to this. My viewers want me to cover this. They want me to look into this. And, and that's really how we right now, this group of people here, you know, 450 strong or so, you guys actually could make a really big impact if you all decided to in a united action to uh, to just do something like that. Right. Like, who do you who do we think? Like, I'm just going to ask the other speakers in the room. Who do you think would, would be the best conservative uh, platforms to cover this information so that it gets nationwide uh, coverage in order for Congress to act? I mean, this is like, honestly, like the first person I would think of, honestly, that does like the whiteboard. I, I still think we should make a documentary. But honestly, like in, in the short term, a uh, Glenn Beck whiteboard, uh, you know, I mean, who else? Who else has these large platforms that can actually break this down and take the time to do it? And then maybe have bite-sized piece interviews. I don't know. Like, listen, I'm not trying to raise my own platform. I don't care about that. I just want this information out there. It's not exactly. about. They don't even have to have any of us on to be interviewed. Just cover the material. That's all we're asking. We're literally just asking to cover the material. Right. So maybe we need to figure out a way for us responsibly to be able to put this, like I said, documentary take too long. But like, I don't know. I was talking, I think you and I, Millie, we were talking about doing that, uh, what was it, IBM that IBM tool where they kind of map everything out or getting some kind of tool together where we can actually lay it out like a whiteboard or like a flow chart or show exactly how it, how it's all li lined up. Right. Right. But uh, you can, it's called, um, I think it was called, um, Analytica books or something mm -hmm. where, where you can basically map everyone's names out all the organizations and inside each person you could click on it and it shows like all their different affiliations associations and any evidence you have on them and then it shows how the web all interacts together um and so yeah we were talking about essentially 3d modeling out all of these organizations and how they connect with each other you know and, and really i think it'd be really cool to to be able to utilize something like that on a timeline where you could actually move scroll the timeline 
and you could essentially input like, you know, cause, cause some of these people, like, for example, like they'll first start out working for Beto's campaign and then they'll start working for Bernie's campaign and then they'll start working for another organization. And you could input the times of when they started, when they ended, and you could input all this information and you could watch how these groups kind of moved and formed these alliances leading up to the election and kind of try to re-engineer what exactly took place. Um, so yeah, I, I think that's something that we definitely should look into doing. But I also think that we really need to form a team of researchers and we need to start getting really serious about just doing hardcore research, right? We, we ha- There's enough talking head pundits, peacocks out there you know, just trying to preen their feathers and just like get clicks and views and sit up in front of a camera, but lacking substance. Right. And, and I think that that way of journalism, you know, I guess it served its purpose, but I think that now we, we really need to get, get more serious and move into a new era of really um, basically pulling up our sleeves and being researchers and essentially, um, forming research teams in order to tackle some of these really big projects and get to the bottom of, of information and discover truth within these investigations. I think that that's what, re- what really needs to happen. And I think that already between, you know, Aaron, me, Jen, Dustin, Walter, and, uh, you know, Kim, a bunch of other people that um, have been researching and, and adding to this, um, this effort to look into these organizations and these groups, we've already uncovered so much, but we need to actually figure out a way to even consolidate some of this information into something that allows us to map it out so that we can all have a broad picture of, of, of everything and how it's all connected. Yep. I agree. And yeah, <laughs> so, uh, we, we, you know, you and I have had our conversations on the phone about that. We'll have it again when we get offline here. I don't want to give anybody else any ideas, but, uh, I think what we're talking about, what we talked about doing is, is great. It just takes money. So we're going to have to figure out a way to raise money to be able to create those groups, make get grants, whatever it may be, do grant writing. I don't know, but, um, I, I'd, I'd like to be able to do this full time. I would rather not have a full time job and do this full time, you know, but <laughs> it is what it is. So, and, uh. We're too, we're too focused on the truth to get a lot of funding from other places, I'm sure. So, <laughs> so we probably couldn't do that either. But we really need to be serious about this stuff because if we don't do it, who's going to do it? And as of this point, only because of our efforts is this information even seeing the light of day right now, right? So we actually have to continue doing this. So we have to continue going down this path. And so we actually need to start figuring out ways to make that feasible and make that happen. And we need to figure out ways to actually up our game so we can, we can be more efficient in these uh, investigations and we can really, um, you know, figure out a way to, to consolidate information and share information and, you know, get to the bottom of what's really going on. I mean, my whole thing is, and I know we were talking about this, Aaron, about how, how much we, for us, it's just like this overwhelming s- desire to want to just find out what the truth is. Like, we just want to uncover the mystery. Who want, who doesn't want to solve the mystery? Who doesn't want to uncover the truth and figure out exactly what's going on, right? So it's this, this drive to want to seek out 
truth. And, you know, that's what we really just need is a team of, of people wanting to seek truth. But yeah. All right. So, um, yeah. I think that's probably pretty good. Yep. That's going to be it. And I promised Prescott that we could uh, hear what he had to say. I just did not want to derail from tying up that final present in a bow to land that plane. And I appreciate everybody that's been here with us today. So Prescott, go ahead and I'll get any final thoughts and we'll, we'll move on. All right. Thanks you guys. Um, basically what I was coming down to is the, uh, Elon Musk controversy right now, cause he's talking about election, um, fraud matters and election integrity. And they got into a discussion about illegals voting. Um, now, and Elon in response to, um, some guy named Luke, what's his name here? It's uh, Yan LeCun. And I can't find the exact post, but Lan Yacoon was saying that illegal aliens weren't going to waste their time breaking the law and voting when it was illegal because they could be deported, blah, blah, blah. But Elon had posted this, uh, the law, the Arizona law that says that, you know, people, if you don't have ID and you're not, you know, a citizen and all that, you're not going to be allowed to be voted to vote, but you will be issued a federal only ballot you will be issued a federal only ballot they are planning on giving illegal aliens federal only ballots and they're not allowed to vote in them in them because they are not citizens but yet they will be getting a ballot so basically they're planning on sending twinkies to fat farms across america with a do not eat sign on them and and arguing that they're not going to um, to risk deportation by illegally voting, even though they have a ballot in their name. Um, <laughs> and and any investigations that ensue after the election will take years and years and the damage will be done. So I just wanted to point that out. It's freaking maddening as a place to start. As far as some of these actions, the illegal, the 12 million new voters that just came into this country, a lot of them are going to be getting ballots. Now, that was just Arizona law, so I don't know the other laws, but um, lawyers, anybody who's activists in this, you want to push, uh, get some information out there. We need to re- really, really, really focus on this, I believe. Uh, and that's one of the, the key points. we got to um, lawfare these guys away. Uh, we can't have illegals getting ballots. Yes. So I'm in Arizona. I can't confirm this. I've actually looked at the documentation myself. It's what it says. That is accurate. Uh, Number two, it does tie in because of the get out the vote effort, the poll worker effort that we exposed earlier in the space. Um, That's why you're seeing people like Canicoa the Great and all these other large accounts trying to expose the ballot harvesting operations, the fraud in various states. And this is where the troops on the ground and he's going after Zuckerbuck just recently. This is where the get out the vote effort will be saying you have a ballot, but you can't vote. Go ahead and give it to us. And so like. Yeah, that's part of it. And you're absolutely correct. And that's going to be a lot of the uh, ground troops that we've exposed in the sunrise that Millie exposed in sunrise Zoom calls. Everything we've been talking about today is absolutely directly correlated. So I appreciate you bringing that up. Thank you. All right. You got a hot mic there, Prescott. So I'm, I'm going to go ahead and wrap this up. If you guys are just joining in, you have no idea what we talked about. This will probably be if you really want to understand what happened in January 6th, what happened in our election, what happened in the years leading up to it. We've pretty much broken this all down. This is not the first space we've done this. This is probably the 10th space that we've done this. And every time Sunrise Movement pops up, every time Shutdown DC or these other groups pop up, we're going to do this again. And we're going to keep doing it and breaking it all down. All the receipts are there. You can go find them below. 
You can go into my highlights tab uh, in my profile, look for any space that says anything to do with Norm Eisen, David Brock, January 6th, or um, the 2020 elections, anything like that. All these documents will be in there. The Election Integrity par uh, pr uh, Partnership, Transition Integrity Project, the count, all these documents, the video recording, everything that we played on this space, everything that we talked about on this space, all the receipts that we, we were actually using and not using any conjecture are contained below. Millie has it all. We're going to be releasing so much more stuff coming out. We're trying to make our way through it. Millie just discovered a bombshell, quite literally, um, in these documents from the Sunrise Zoom calls and, this, and, these, and these horizontally um, aligned affinity groups where it not only shows organization, doesn't always also show recruitment. They're physically showing you how to make actual bombs, where to get material, how to do it. All these documents are out there, as well as we're going to be coming out, Millie, right, with the... Uh, the federal workers training sessions documents and how to be civil disobedient to your superiors within governmental agencies, how to have Marxist training sessions with your fellow uh, co-workers at the government offices. And they, they place a special emphasis in that document on don't bring any lawyers. They'll probably frighten a lot of the people you're just bringing this information to. Like that's how insane this stuff is. So stay tuned because we're going to be exposing a lot more of this and we're going to be working a lot in the background and Millie, Dustin, do you guys have any final thoughts before we uh, close this down? Just want to say thank you to Millie Weaver for uh, bringing all this forward and suffering through the frustration. I mean it when I say if the Pulitzer Prize meant a damn thing, you'd get one for your persistence, tenacity, and accuracy uh, throughout this entire thing. I'm looking forward to bringing it forward. So I'll, I'll end on the optimism note. Uh, the truth We'll find a way to spread, and we've got them. We've got it, and we'll continue to grind and figure out how to get it out to everybody. Trash, such incredible work as always. I love the way you break everything down. Uh, I'm really appreciative to be a part of this crew uh, and do all the stuff that we continue to do. So thank you guys all very much for listening uh, this whole time and work to comprehend and following the directions. I see a bunch of you guys tagging us with Tim Pool and Joe Rogan and a bunch of others. Uh, you guys are the, the heroes here. We appreciate you all the way around. Yes, thank you so much. And a lot of this is, uh, you know, the people are the ones who help make this all move forward. And, you know, obviously I was able to cover a lot more ground in my investigative work, um, you know, throughout my time period uh, working at InfoWars. But then it was also people who uh, continued to help support me throughout the years and allowed me to continue on doing my journalism. Um, but yeah, I mean, this stuff, um, just to let you know, like the undercover investigation that I conducted, you know, I paid somebody to do this work. I paid somebody to infiltrate. It was, it took over like a year, probably closer to more like a year and a half to actually get into certain levels of trust to be able to get certain um, access. And so, you know, this is something that really, um, you know, I just really wanted to do. I really wanted to be able to get to the bottom of some of these organizations and groups, figure out what was going on. And honestly, I don't know what we essentially thought we were going to discover, but I definitely don't think it was this. I don't ever think I could have imagined just how um, how much information we would actually be able to uncover from this. And so, um, yeah, it's just it's it's mind blowing to say the least. So, yeah, 
um aaron dustin uh everyone let's uh let's get on a call after here's because i i want to talk to you guys about some of the stuff i just recently found yeah absolutely and uh millie thank you for your hard work and i and i i do i very much appreciate you and dustin and jen and everybody that's been working on this we Spend a lot of time on this, and it wouldn't be if it weren't for Millie getting somebody in the Sunrise Zoom calls and getting access to these documents back in 2020. We we wouldn't even have a clue of, of what's going on. And uh, so uh, this will be in the highlights tab if you guys want to go back and listen. Um, and as always, you guys know where to find us. You know where to find the documents that are out there, and we have a lot more stuff coming. So we're going to jump on a call. i got to make a quick call, Millie, before uh, I, we jump on that call. Uh, but then uh, I yeah. will be... I'm not running some errands too. Want to say like seven o'clock Eastern, half an hour from now. That works for me. What do you think, Millie? Perfect. Yeah. Yep. That sounds good. All right. Perfect. We'll talk to you guys then. All and right. thank you everybody for being here. All right.